This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Thursday Buckeye Talk. This is going to be a different one. Doug Marie, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, and a cast of others will be joining us over the course of this podcast, which is about covering the Ohio State football team. I have interviews with outlets, five other outlets that cover Ohio State. We will talk about sort of all these outlets. And I, in fact, and we're going to break this podcast into two pieces because it's going to be, I think, close to four hours total. It's evergreen. You don't have to listen to all four hours right now. It's how you cover the beat. It's a lot of sort of like general stuff that you can listen to this podcast in a year. And I think it'll mostly apply. So Nathan and Steven and I are going to talk about some stuff here at the beginning. And then on this part one, we will have Ari and Bill from The Athletic will join us. Then Ben Koo from Awful Announcing, who is an Ohio State grad, has written about Ohio State in the past, is very well informed about Ohio State, but runs Awful Announcing, created its CEO founder, which is a sports media website. He has an interesting perspective. And then we'll get to Bill Rabinowitz and Joey Kaufman, the Ohio State football team for the Columbus Dispatch. And that will be part one. Part two of this podcast, which will be a separate podcast, will be Letterman Rowe, Austin Ward, Tim May, and Spencer Holbrook. Then we'll do 11 Warriors and speak with Dan Hope. And then we'll have Bucknuts with Dave Biddle, Steve Hellwagon, and Pat Murphy. And then Stephen and Nathan and I will come back at the end of part two for a lengthy discussion of what our texters told us they value most in Ohio State coverage and how they pick who they're going to listen to, who they're going to read. And we have some interesting answers there. And we'll try to share a few comments from our texters, but we just have so many overwhelming comments. I'll get back to a lot of the texters individually because we do appreciate that. And And the survey is interesting how much time you spend on Ohio State coverage in a week, listening and, cons- and reading and consuming it, and what it is you kind of look for. But the reason we are doing this podcast be- is because of what has happened at a website called Buckeye Scoop in the last week. And Stephen, you wrote a news story about that this week. I'm going to read chunks of that news story in a moment. But that's why we're getting into this. We're going to lay the groundwork of this. But Nathan, just in general, your- what was your take, Nathan, as someone who's been on the beat a couple years, but maybe wasn't an expert on 
you know, Nevada buck and message boards and that kind of thing. What did you make of this story in the last couple of days? Yeah. So I, that was one of the relationships that you have to kind of figure out once you come onto a beat is who these people are. And there's, especially when they, when it's like nicknames and stuff like Nevada buck, like that, was, it took me a while to like kind of even figure out who some of these people were and why they have such an important uh, presence for the people that we serve our, our, our audience and, and the wider audience of the beat. And, um, it's been an interesting proposition because that's been, as we've watched Buckeye scoop kind of come onto the scene here in the last year, there's been this really interesting mix of the guys that we deal with a lot. Um, like the forward facing guys, other uh, reporters who are at news conferences. Yeah. yeah. The guys that we see all the time. And then Mark Gibbler, who I know is behind the scenes with the recruiting stuff, but has been doing that for a long time, I think is respected. And then this other element and that other element has been, um, I think beneficial to them in bringing them a certain amount of credibility from an insider standpoint, but it also also seemed like maybe they were a little bit perched on the edge of where they ended up. So Steven, you wrote the news story with us this week uh, on Monday after you wrote the story and we're going to read chunks of it here in a second. How did you sort of absorb everything as you tried to, I mean, this was news, this was news. Mark Givler, so the, the basics, Mark Givler, Ken Stickney, who is known as Nevada Buck on Ohio State message boards, and former Ohio State player Kirk Barton combined as co-founders to create a new Ohio State website last year called Buckeye Scoop. Mark Givler put out this week that Kirk Barton and Nevada Buck, Ken Stickney, no longer work at Buckeye Scoop. And then Mark Givler posted a lawsuit that he has filed where he is seeking relief from some of the things that he claims in the lawsuit that Ken Stickney and Kirk Barton did while at Buckeye Scoop. So again, off the top, we invited Buckeye Scoop to be part of this. As Nathan mentioned, Tony Gerdeman, Tom Orr, reporters who show up every day, Mark Gibbler, who's covered uh, recruiting for a long time. We invited them to be on here. They chose not to be on here, which we totally get. But it's difficult because the people who are left at Buckeye Scoop, I mean, there's nobody alleging much, but, you know, they cover the team. They, they do a good job. We also don't, this is just a lawsuit. These are allegations. We can't say that Ken Stickney and Kirk Barton definitely did this stuff, but you have a very public feud between three former co-founders where it's kind of one guy on Mark Gibbler on one side, Ken Stickney, Kirk Barton on the other side. I'll read it in a moment. Steven, what did you think of the whole thing as you wrote this story? I kind of agree with Nathan. It's just, there's two sides to to, obviously, this is my first job, so this is my first time dealing with something like this, where it's like two different sides of a sports media outlet, where there's, you know, the, I don't want to say under the table, because that sounds kind of shady, but for the sake of not necessarily a better phrase, the the guys you see every day, and then the stuff that ha- happens under the table that kind of the way they operate it, I'm not going to say it's shaky, it's just not, I guess, normal types of journalism, where it seemed a little bit more sensationalized, but I mean, some of this stuff is just business, right? Some, like some of the, the, the financial stuff, parts that are part of this stuff is just business. It's bad business, whatever. But the, the, the parts of what, who Kirk Barton and who Nevada Buck are, that's kind of the other side of what journalism is in the world of the Internet, where you've got message boards and there's things where it's, it's reporting, but it's not real reporting because it's not sourced by anybody. It's just kind of hinting at stuff. It's just a different side that you're not really ever taught in school. And so it's different once you are covering a team like Ohio State, where this is just a normal part of you know, covering this team to an extent. Can you imagine that college class? 
Uh, you, yeah. got, you guys taking a message boards 301 this year? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's like, oh. I, I mean, I would argue that if you want to cover college sports, that's the kind of thing that needs to come up more in in if you're if you're in a college yeah. journalism program. I obviously haven't been anywhere near one for uh, a long time, but um, that's that's more of use to a, a reporter in 2021 than uh, talking about, you know, uh, print deadlines or anything like that. So I will say I, I've I always would... said that. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I've always said that, like, since I've gotten this, this is my third and a half year on the speed. I've probably learned more just kind of following Doug around it. And Nathan, when you got here, than what I learned pretty much my last two years of college. And that's not a, a shade on Kent State. Kent State's got a great journalism program. There are just some things that because they're not necessarily ethical all the time, a school is not going to teach you. it, And so you don't really learn it until you get out here into the actual space. So sometimes just having Doug yell, yells at you is a better teaching mechanism than a teacher saying, hey, go write me a 300 word story and let's see where it gets you. That's what I always say. I, that's why I yell. I yell to teach. I yell to teach. All right. Let's read this story a little bit. And then I'll give you some of my thoughts about some of this stuff because I'm old and I've been around a long time. This is Stephen's story that appeared on Cleveland.com on Monday. Former Ohio State football offensive lineman Kirk Barton is being taken to court by his former employer, Buckeye Scoop, in a lawsuit that alleges numerous actions against the company. Buckeye Scoop is a media outlet that started covering the Buckeyes before the 2020 season. Mark Givler, who filed the suit, is a co-founder of Buckeye Scoop. Givler Barton and a prominent OSU booster from California named Ken Stickney, known as Nevada Buck on the website, had entered into an agreement to own the company and its website. Among the charges in the lawsuit was Givler filed Sunday in the Cuyahoga County Court of Common Pleas. There's some stuff in here that, that then, Stephen, as you said, it's kind of business stuff. It's the, the specifics of the allegations are sort of like financial things where Givler claims that Barton took some money that was intended for the company that Barton then held on to that. I mean, if you're co-founders, I guess you should share it. There's some stuff like that. That's really the business stuff that the lawsuit, most of the allegations in the lawsuit are about. But there's also just some stuff about reporting that is sort of entered into this, that the lawsuit is financial and financial practices. But a lot of the sort of scuttlebutt around this is about what you do and don't report on a message board. We did contact Kirk Barton. I, I, one of the very first features I wrote at cleveland.com when I showed up in 2005 was about Kirk Barton, who was an offensive on the offensive lineman on the team when I got here. And I didn't know some of this stuff. It's one of the funny, the stuff that you, you come in blind with your own view of things in 2004 as I remember it, Kirk Barton in an interview said something along the lines of like, Hey, Troy Smith should be playing <laughs> right. And when, at a time when they were trying to figure out should Troy Smith play or should Justin's wick play. And I wasn't here for that. Cause I didn't cover the team until 05, but I think basically Kirk was a little too honest and was saying the things that the people on the roster thought when maybe that's not what the coaches wanted out there. So Kirk kind of disappeared from the media view for a long time. So when I got here in 2005, I didn't know any of that. Kirk's from Northeast Ohio. And I just said, I would like to do a feature story on Kirk Barton. Can I, can I talk to Kirk Barton? And they gave him to me. And I think some people were surprised. It was like, I was too dumb to know, like, don't ask for Kirk Barton. He's in media jail because he was too honest as a player. But I think I, I wrote a story about Kirk. Uh, I, I'll double check this and I'll edit it out if this is wrong. His father passed away 
early in his life. And so he was dealing with some things and it's like this guy, you know, who overcame stuff. And here is this very important player for Ohio state football. And that's how I got to know Kirk Barton. So I don't, I'm not going to pretend that we are, we've remained in contact and we're certainly not friends. We're not even acquaintances. I mean, if I would see Kirk Barton on the street, I think he would know who I am and I would know who he is and we would say hello, but we did. So I did reach out to Kirk and then, and Steven, you were able to talk to Kirk Barton's lawyer, uh, Samuel Shemansky, who said, the facts alleged in Gibbler's lawsuit are ludicrous. We look forward to the opportunity to debunk his accusations. Everything that he claims is a lie. Kirk Barton's done nothing but work his tail off, along with his partner in Nevada, to make this website what it is today. This lawsuit is nothing more than a half-hearted attempt to wrest control of this company, and it's not going to succeed. So that's Kirk Barton's side of things. And listen, this is Mark Gibbler has a lawsuit. Kirk Barton has a response that his lawyer provided to Cleveland.com. That's financial. That's why it's in the news. Ben Koo wrote about it at Awful Announcing. Steven wrote about it, and national people retweeted this and said, boy, oh boy, someone from The Ringer, somebody from The New York Times. It's like, man, oh man, message boards are crazy. And that's why we're talking about it here, because we're not really, I mean, the, the what's happening monetarily within a website is not of particular interest to anybody, but it's what brought this other stuff to, to the forefront. And so I'm just going to give a little brief thing here. A lot of you listening to this know this stuff or have a similar view. And some of you may not know this stuff, but it is just a little bit of a view into what's going on here. So Ken Stickney is a booster whose family had its name on Ohio state's old tennis facility. You know, he's, his, he's a prominent Ohio State booster. And I will say, I think back in the day, right? I mean, if you're trying to report on a program and it still happens now, you know who great sources are? Boosters. Because they give money and they get access. And they know stuff. And the biggest booster is, man, the AD's clearing stuff with them. Because you can't be doing stuff in an athletic, an athletic program when you are funded by your biggest boosters without keeping them in the loop and often taking their opinions into account in some way, shape, or form. So newspaper journalists, mainstream journalists for years and decades and centuries have used boosters as sources. So this was a case of a booster, instead of being a source for a reporter, taking it straight to the people. So he has every right to do that. And a lot of times, if you're a reporter and you were getting information from a booster, you wouldn't put the booster's name in your story. Sources close to the program. Right. So a, a lot of the complaints, if, if, if there have been complaints about Nevada Buck, Ken Stickney over the years, is related to sort of like things he's revealing and the anonymity of it, except there was a time. I mean, that's what newspaper journalists do a lot. So there's a, there's a lot of that that's kind of like, man, I wish he was my source. Instead, he's bringing it straight to message boards and then monetizing it. And that he has worked for several message board sites. And then eventually he stopped working for somebody else and he was a co-founder of a new site. And he does have quite a following. He does have quite a following. And I know there are some of his followers who have followed Nevada Buck from site to site are listening to this right now. And you may believe that you have gotten great information and inside scoops about uh, did a recruit commit? Is a coach going to leave? You know, that, that kind of stuff. Who's looking great in practice, right? And certainly he has provided that information over the years. There did come to be, I think, a view among much of the Ohio State beat and certainly some of the fans, when you read the reaction to what has happened, that some of the stuff he said didn't happen, didn't come true. So what's up? Now, again, 
when you're using anonymous sources, I mean, people get stuff wrong sometimes. You hear something and the thing you hear is not true. I do think some of the angst about this is that he's taking it straight to the people and it's not being vetted because, again, I don't know if I said this. Did I say this already? It's not journalism. I don't think Nevada Buck would claim it's journalism. So we're not using that word. It's information, which is different than journalism because information exists. But a lot of journalism is the process of vetting and synthesizing information. It's not just regurgitating information. That's almost the step of what journalism is. And frankly, a lot of us are doing a little less vetting and a little less synthesizing and a little more regurgitating than we used to do back in the day. And when you're in a 24 news, 24 hour news cycle in the digital world, that's the case. But anybody like Nevada Buck, anybody with inside information that you can just put it straight out there. And then if it's right or wrong, there's not, there's not really any consequences, Nathan, you know what I mean? That like, all right, well, you put it out there. Well, you put out 10 things, seven are right. Cool. The people who subscribe to that message board got the inside dope. Awesome. Three are wrong. Eh, what are you going to do? Nobody's perfect. Whereas if you're a writer, if you're writing information and your hit rate is 70%, that is your editors are not going to like that. Your bosses are not going to like that. There are consequences to that. So I have known, certainly, I mean, I've done this for 17 years. I've known Nevada Buck. I've never talked to him. I, I, I don't. I don't, I wouldn't know Ken Stickney if he walked down the street, but there is, I think, a push and a pull between the, the beat writers who cover Ohio State and Nevada Buck because they're doing different things. And I think we feel like there are consequences to our actions and somebody who maybe doesn't have the same consequences, but gets all the admiration or credit or subscribers, the money that come from subscribers when they're right, that can cause some frustration, I think, among journalists. Yeah, because um, one person will just couch it and say, hey, here's the thing I've heard. You know what I mean? Like they're not trying to put any credibility behind it. Um, first of all, they're not even using their real name. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, so that interrupts the accountability that goes on here. And then on top of that, if you're if you're at from the very beginning, you want you want to be able to float rumors and take credit when they're right and then dismiss them when they're wrong. Uh, I've always found that frustrating. And I think that happens to some extent in different levels of our profession, um, even with people who do use their real names and are more at more um, conventional outlets. And I will say that I've tried to keep that in mind as we have endeavored down the line of like the tech service. And we've had conversations internally, like, hey, this thing just happened. Or, hey, here's a thing that we've heard. What are we going to text about that? Because I still feel like it's a report to some extent. But we we can word it the right way to say, I think I even did it over the weekend, be like, hey, we don't know yet what's going on with the Ohio State coaches. Here's a thing that I've, like what I've sort of gleaned, here's what it might look like that turned out not to be true. So, but I was saying up front, like, hey, here's the thing that this might look like today. I think that's very different. It's in, in I wasn't trying to break news. I wasn't trying to take later, take credit for it. I was just kind of trying to give people some context. But I think we've, we've tried to keep that in mind as we've gone down this new line where it is a little bit more of a gray area between what is a report and what is, hey, I'm, we're telling our subscribers, here's what we're hearing. And it, it, it can be a fine line sometimes. I think where it was most frustrating 
was last year when COVID stuff is happening and then, you know, you're trying to figure out if players are available or not. And then it's like, or with recruiting, obviously it happens a lot more because, you know, everybody thinks they know everything when not everybody knows everything. And it, it feels more like starting a fire and then running away and letting everybody else stare at it and, and add fuel to that fire and let it burn while you've run off to the sunset and done something else. Um, like, I mean, it's like, because you hint at it, you don't actually report it. It's one thing to say, you know, um, uh, Jaheim Singletary has decommitted from Ohio State. That happened. That's true information. It's another thing to be like, hmm, there's a guy in Ohio State's 2022 recruiting class who committed in January, but might not make it all the way to signing day. That's not real information. You didn't say anything there. You're just kind of throwing stuff out there. So then people are just going to latch on to that. Even if you talk to nobody, or even if you did talk to somebody, everything you talk to somebody about is not supposed to be for public knowledge. And a lot of the times these message boards become a hiding spot for stuff that you don't actually, or you're not actually allowed to report, but you want it out there anyway. So let me ask, is there harm done though? Is there harm? Or is it just journalist frustrations? Or do you think fans or and or the Ohio State program and or the people associated with the Ohio State program can be harmed by message board things that are put out there that may not turn out to be true? Or is it like, man, it's sports, whatever. Some stuff's true. Some stuff's not. People like to talk about it. It's fun. It's a hobby. You know, again, we would hold ourselves to a different standard because we're putting our name on it. We're journalists. It's a different thing. But that's a different thing. They're not claiming it's journalism. We shouldn't get so wound up about it. What's the big deal? Is that any argument, Nathan? Yes. Some of this is uh, reporters and journalists getting their blood up about things that maybe fans don't. Uh, I think that happens. I don't know. Once a month. <laughs> where we all get uh, something yeah. um, um, up our, our cram holes and um, we, we go to town about it. But I think maybe the average fan isn't that concerned about it. I will say I was one of the refreshing things over the past several months, really even dating back to last season, as Stephen was talking about with all the COVID stuff. And I'm not trying to pick on just Buckeye Scoop and, and the couple guys that we're talking about here. But in general, I, I found it refreshing from fans who would say, when you would see things they would see on our text or you would see it on other message boards or on Twitter or whatever, it'd be like somebody would post something that somebody had said and somebody would be like, well, but can you believe what that guy's saying? Like I, I'm waiting to hear it from these outlets. I'm waiting to hear it from us or Letterman row or the mm-hmm. dispatch or, or 11 warriors. Like they, they wanted um, because they didn't trust because they had paid attention to that batting average that certain people have. So I think there is the, the, I think some fans and and readers are interested in this because they do follow this intently, intensely, and they, they want to be able to believe what they read and they're being savvy and discriminating in what information they believe and don't. I think, I think the trouble comes when we act like the two things are the same. When we act like covering a team as a journalist is the same as a person on a message board. And I will say my impression of this and to my, I did not Kirk Barton. We, uh, I, I texted him and said, Kirk, we're writing about this. And he referred us to his lawyer. I did not go back then and ask Kirk Barton, if you want to be on Buckeye talk, because I assume it's, of course, he's not talking. He referred to his lawyer. I don't have a contact for Ken Stickney. So I did not invite Ken Stickney to be on. If there's anybody who's listening to this, who knows Ken Stickney, he would be invited to come on Buckeye talk to talk about this at any point. 
and not even to like defend himself, just to talk about sort of this discussion of message board culture and journalism. I do think in general, we all get in trouble when we, we try to pretend it's the same thing. But I do think sometimes Nevada Buck has crossed over at times to beating his chest and acting like or claiming credit for breaking something or sort of prodding the writers. And, and if, a, if a writer says like, hey, I'm reporting this, and Nevada Buck will be like, All right, well, I said that three days ago. And it's like, well, yeah. you said it on a message board that's anonymous where your hit rate isn't great. So you do your thing. But over here, this is a different thing. And that's fine. I'm not even saying one is better than the other. I'm saying they're different. Yeah. So then if Nevada Buck is kind of a is 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 saying like, ah, well, you heard it. And it's like, well, it's like that. I do think riled people up. And I think fairly. Because again, if we're trying to, you know, as a sports writer, if we're saying it's not the same, then you should, then let's have not, let's not have you pretend it's the same. Do what you do on your message board. That's fine. And I'll say back in the day when I was really a, a beat writer and I wasn't doing podcasts and I wasn't doing any Browns and that kind of thing, you know, Matt, man, I mean, you troll the message boards and see what's up and say, but you troll the message boards as a writer to say, what should I make a call about? Right. And that's right, a great place you- to get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we all do that. Yeah, I think an example that maybe would help illuminate people is um, like the Associated Press. I feel like a lot of times doesn't break news. A lot, but the AP is like the last word on things like that. It's a place that has like put a emphasis on having like I'm batting a thousand. Like if they're going to put something with their name on it, it's got to be 100% correct. It can't be speculation. It can't be like halfway there. And so I think we endeavor to be more like that than we do like message board speculation. I will say if the AP is not careful, it's going to be a dinosaur, though. I do think the AP at times can be so hellbent on what's the second source. We got to have this on the record. And it's like, listen, that's not going to happen right now. But this is true. Let's go. I do think, and I'm not criticizing the AP, but I would not want to be all AP, no message board covering Ohio State. And I'm not saying you said that, but we 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 are striking a balance between the two. Yes. But I think at times message board culture can be much more relevant than associated press culture to covering college football. Right now, the things that matter. Right. I, I want the AP to say we're not going unless we have two sources that we are 100 percent sure of whatever. I get that. This is college football. So I do think you can go too far the other way if you're so stuck in the mud, the world passes you by while you're digging around for a second source and a thing that everybody knows is true. Right. So I think there's a fine line there to walk. And the texts are kind of our message board now. It's not interactive in the quite the same way, but it's similar. But. Also, unless it went, and I don't know that we would do it, which it's a lot of it is how you present it, right? We love our texters, and I do think our texters love us, but we're not, we don't do a lot of like, oh, yeah, broke that boot. We're just like, hey, we're doing our best. We want you to trust us. Here's what we've got. When we get it, you'll hear it first. But we're going to get beat by other people a lot because there are a lot of good people on this beat. And we are not going to go with something that we think, you know, that we're not exactly sure about. We're only going to tell you when like we're this is the real deal. And I, I hope that when we do tell people stuff that they do think it's the real deal. But I do think it's fair 
if there's a slider of I'll report something when I'm 100% sure, and again, report, I'll put something on a message board, right? I'll put it on a message board or in a text or something when it's 100% true, and I'll put it out there when it's 10% true, and that people have a slider. I think it's okay for different people's sliders to land at different places. Some people won't go until it's 100. Some might throw it out at 10. You know, and I think from different stories, what it is, how important it is, what's it about? Would you hurt anyone if you reported it and then it was wrong? Or is it not that? I understand that there is a slider there, Stephen. I don't know if I talked about the uh, the, the message board slider in your Kent yeah. State journals and classes, but I think it's real. <laughs> yeah, the slider. I think I'm just because I, I was the young guy on this pod. That also is an element. I'm in the early stages of starting my career here and trying to build, you know, relationships with people and trying to build some type of credibility here. So that matters as well. You know, you, I would rather, for me personally, I'm not going to throw out something at 10%. While if you're, you know, as a journalist, an up and coming journalist, I would rather be more 95% in the 5%. I'm telling you, listen, this might happen. I just did it with uh, the, I gave our texter some information about Drew Aller the other day and was like, listen, yeah, sign up for the text if you want to see what I exactly said. But the point of what I said was some things have to happen if this is going to happen. But I would not bet Brett my Brett many money on this actually happening. I prefaced it with that stuff, but also I heard that from a very reliable source who would know better than anybody. So I'm not just gonna go to I don't do the you know secondary source situation, no situation. I'm going straight to the person who's actually in charge of a lot of this stuff. And if they tell me otherwise, then I'll you know, I'll change that information. But I, I would let at my point in my career, I would rather get it directly from the source than secondary sources and then use it as a message board material. But also you didn't write a story about that. Right. Right. So it's not yeah. quite at write a story level, mm-hmm. but it was, I believe this and have enough faith in what I it's, know to give it yeah. to the tech subscribers, as Nathan said, which is our version of a message board. But yeah. now it's just a part of it, again, is a presentation because we're. I don't think whatever happens, we're not going to go around and be like, oh, you heard it here first. So I do think some of the stuff with Nevada Buck is just that he grinds people's gears, right? I mean, he does grind people's gears, but also there clearly are people who have subscribed or have followed him over the years who are frustrated now by what, and, and, and you'll find those people who are saying like, man, you know, whatever, but he got a lot of stuff wrong, but you'll also find a lot of people who still fully believe in that, which is just like any of us. There are people who like us, there are people who don't. So um, I understand the frustrations of journalists, but, and, and we'll, we're going to talk about that with some of the other people coming up. And I have respect for everybody that is going to be on this podcast or we wouldn't have invited them to be on Buckeye Talk and they were gracious enough to join us. I do think it does not serve us in general with the public at times to get too highfalutin with waving around our journalism degrees when people are just trying to get information about the team they like. And we're talking about like, well, in my journalism ethics class, I never would have like, whatever, dude. (laughs) Like they don't care. And, And there's sometimes there is nothing that turns fans off more than journalist fights. So, and, and a lot of stuff we're complaining about, oh, we're supposed to have access. We were going to do it. It's like, people are like, I don't care. Just tell me about the team. So I do think we can get in our own way at times with that. But I, but I will say, I mean, again, there are times I'm, I have a couple in my head right now, like times 
and I, I talked about it some was like the 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 first the Zach Smith stuff, right? The Zach Smith um, police report in Florida that sort of precipitated the Zach Smith whole situation in 2018. Somebody on Twitter sent that to multiple journalists and said, look into this, me included. And I was in the process of looking into it when Brett McMurphy wrote the story, but I didn't just throw it out there, right? Because it was just an anonymous text. I'm not going to do that. But it was interesting. And I was trying to do something when Chase Young got suspended. We, someone on Twitter was putting it out there. Hey, I heard this, was checking into it and they couldn't like it. And then Chase Young suspended, right? But you can't, I didn't just put it out there. Like I had, I had early conversations. I don't know if I had the first conversations, but I had early conversations about the Richard Strauss story at Ohio State way before anything was reported. And I was talking to people and I was trying to figure out what to do with it and how to go about reporting this as a high state football reporter, you know, and, and not being sure of what I could trust with what I was hearing and trying to find other people and kind of failed. I kind of failed in my reporting of that and look where we are now. And if I had been a better reporter, I, I might have been the person to break that story. But I couldn't just throw out what I was hearing. You know what I mean? So, again, this podcast is about how Doug is a terrible journalist. <laughs> now let's talk about all the stories I've broken on this beat. So that's where we are. That's life. <laughs> that's my life. I mean, life. that's not a bad thing, though. That's not everybody's lane. Everybody can't be the story breaker. You know, that's, if everybody's a story breaker, who's doing the million of other things that happen in, in journalism? Why do you think I do funny voices on a podcast? I had to find my lane. It's like, oh, that's the Stetson Barnett guy. Yeah. You should. Everybody. It's fair. Everybody can't be woed. Somebody's got to be Colin Cowherd. That guy hasn't broken a story in 17 years, but his coach is pretty good. Oh, Doug Maurice is a terrible journalist, but he's a somewhat amusing podcaster. All right. Let's talk about the beat. I think this is right. Help me if I'm wrong. And I apologize for my ineptitude to anybody that I'm leaving out. I think I have, what is this, 14 or 15 outlets that I think I would say cover Ohio State comprehensively. Letterman Row, they will be on this podcast. They are an independent site that now has become associated with On3 Sports, which is like the new national sports network that's just started up in the last couple of months. The Columbus Dispatch, you guys know what's up with that. Paper of record in Columbus. Bucknuts, associated with 247, the Ohio State site for the 247 Sports Network. Been around a long time. 11 Warriors, very popular fan site, independent site. I can remember when 11 Warriors hired its first beat writer, whatever, 10 years ago. Really, I think has led the way in a lot of ways for a lot of fan sites around the country. Buckeye Scoop, as we mentioned, still going with the guys they have there, led by Mark Gibbler's recruiting coverage and Tony Gurdman and Tom Moore on the beat. Buckeye Grove, associated with the Ohio State, with the, uh, with the Rivals Network. Again, it's the Ohio State site for a big national network. Buckeye Sports Bulletin puts out a, a, a weekly sports paper, very comprehensive, associated with the Scout Network online. So that's like the, the sort of everybody's association with the national stuff. The Ozone, started by John Parentis. Honestly, the very beginnings of the internet has been around forever. John is not involved as much as he used to be he's retired because he worked his butt off for a long time 
you guys know that site. Tony Gerdeman used to work there and some places they still cover the team. So you got to acknowledge the ozone, the athletic, of course, you guys know the athletic, but they're new man. they're not that old. They've been around for like four or five years or whatever it is. Ari and Bill doing their thing over there. The athletic land grant, Holy land, which again is, is, is an Ohio state site for a bigger national network, but they're out there. They put out, they put out a lot of Ohio state content. Uh, Sports Illustrated now has gone to a lot of the local site way of doing things. Brendan Gulick recently hired at SI.com to be the Ohio State writer for them. He's in the news conferences asking questions. That's a new startup. Dayton Daily News, one of the few sort of like newspapers in the state that really still devotes somebody. Marcus Hartman, who has covered Ohio State forever. I love talking football with Marcus. He teaches me something about football every time I talk to him. He provides Ohio State coverage for the Daily News. The Lantern, which has broken more stories than I have in my time covering Ohio State. The student newspaper at Ohio State, excellent work. They do absolutely excellent work. And I'm not even going to say like for a student newspaper. I'm just going to say the Lantern does excellent work. And then Buckeye Wire is another site that's associated with USA Today, but it's like the individual Ohio State site. They have a writer there who's there doing the job. Right in Ohio State stuff, I think that's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and that, then there's us. Nathan, when I read a list like that, 16 sites slash outlets, and again, that's not counting the Akron Beacon Journal, which used to have an Ohio State beat writer and no longer does, the Toledo Blade, which used to cover Ohio State with a beat writer and has decided this season to stop doing that. But Kyle Rowland is, is a great journalist up there. Dave Briggs is the best columnist in the state. He just wrote a story about Ohio State's ticket sales. Talk to Gene Smith. I mean, those guys aren't doing it on a daily basis. They're still checking in. The Cincinnati Inquirer has never really covered Ohio State. It's just interesting. It's like the Cincinnati Inquirer and the Cleveland Plain Dealer are kind of similar in a lot of ways. They're big city newspapers, two hours from Columbus. And we have been all in on the Buckeyes since long before I got here in Cincinnati never has been, but that's fine. So, and, and, and so, and, and so there's, there's some smaller papers that also do some stuff, not as much as they they were doing when I first got here 17 years ago, but that's still whatever I said, 15 comprehensive sites. Nathan, what do you think of that number? I mean, just for people to give, to give people context, um, trigger warning, I'm going to bring up the, the P word, but when I covered Purdue basketball, you would show up for, interviews on a weekly basis and like so that everybody you just read like they all have multiple people a lot of them multiple people at a tuesday press conference for ryan day and they've got multiple people there covering games and in the post game for games and when i would cover purdue um basketball which is a pretty prominent basketball program there would be myself the rival site maybe the local tv station maybe one other outlet and that was it like that was the extent of the media that was there on like a consistent basis so you're talking about four or five, six times on a daily basis, the people that are covering a program. And it's, it's a lot of voices. It makes it very competitive for us. It makes it very comprehensive, I think, for fans, because that is what you just rattled off. There is a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different perspectives, a lot of different uh, missions in terms of how they approach news. And uh, I think it's, it, it, there's times where you think like, how could there possibly be another site starting up that's going to cover a state football? And then yet they tend to, they, they do and they thrive a lot of times because there's just that much interest there. I assume this is what it's like covering LeBron in the NBA. 
but I don't even know. But like, there's not team sites like that in right. It's not the no, no, I no. Mean, it's it, not it's the college teams. version of it. Yeah, because in, in in the NBA, you get in professional sports, it's not as many team sites because it's just not set up that way. But the idea that there are this many people covering a thing in sports yeah. is more what I'm getting at. The like it's. Uh, even I come, I, Nathan just mentioned Purdue. I went to Kent State. I don't even, I've been to an Alabama game before. So I know what that media is kind of like. It's it's big, but it's not like this. There's no media, Ohio, no team gets covered like Ohio State gets covered to this extent. So, like, are we the best or what? We number one on that list? We number one? I think that's up to the, uh, yeah, it's the, up to the texters. Our, our texters. Yeah. I mean, I would say so. I am just because I'm competitive and I believe in myself. But I mean, that's up to the you know, audience to decide who's number one. I'm just going to declare it. Okay, we're number one, and that's it. Thanks like for joining UCF. us. This is like a Scott Frost national championship. Yeah. Back to the banner conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're hanging a banner. Hang that banner, <laughs> Buckeye Talk, the number one Ohio State site as decreed <laughs> by Buckeye Talk. Oh, man. All right. So at the end of this, so, so, all right. I think we, I think we laid the groundwork there. We should have Jerry Emig on. Jerry Emig, the primary SID at Ohio State, working with Mike Bassford uh, with the football program. Jerry will, I, I love it because I love lists. I love tracking stuff. Jerry will track how many questions were asked in a news conference. He'll track how many different outlets he called on. In the course of a news conference. And I didn't even mention, I mean, Jared Smalley, Clay Hall, Dom Tiberi, the primary sports anchors in Columbus are always in there asking questions. That's three more. That's three more. I mean, the Columbus television stations are absolutely hardcore on this stuff. For a long time, you had Lori Schmidt uh, for um, whichever radio outlet that was. 97.1 The yeah. Fan. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it, it crosses all formats. She's I would say the- this, having this many people there asking to that point, asking questions, you it kind of challenges your question asking a little bit because if you're not one of the first four people, some of like the main topics you're not going to get to ask about because there's other people are going to get to ask about them. So you kind of get to dive a little deeper than just, Hey, um, do you think CJ Stroud is good? Yeah. Lori Schmidt, now the assistant sports editor at the Columbus dispatch, when she was doing radio, I would say once a month, she would drop a question in a news conference that was like, whoa okay everybody's writing about that because like it would be she often didn't take the obvious route and would come up with something that really got an interesting answer um there are times when i just i sometimes i think to myself man if i just could ask all 60 questions we'd be good to go here can i just but it is hard to keep a thread right sometimes it's like it's boom it's bang and like everybody's trying to do their own thing and i will say one of the things and then we'll then we'll get to the other people here from a journalistic standpoint, I don't love the trend now that every news conference is televised because news conferences are sausage making, man. Like we are in there taking our shots to try to get information. And there's a difference between trying to get a quote and trying to get information. And sometimes TV people or radio people are trying to get a quote, which is fine. Again, it's different jobs. If you have a 90 second TV segment, you don't want some great one minute and 13 second answer about something. You want a soundbite because you got to put your TV report together. I did TV in college. I thought I was going to do TV. And then I tried to get, I got an internship in college and the newspaper internship paid and the TV one didn't. I was like, well, I guess I'm working for newspapers. So they have a different deal than us. 
But when we're in there trying to get information, sometimes you have to ask a weird question or a, not insulting, but an, a, question, a question that pushes somebody's buttons or a question that really makes you sound stupid yes. so that they will explain it mm-hmm. like you're a kindergartner, which guess what is really informative for fans and our readers and the people who pay our salaries. But I don't love that there are oftentimes when fans are very critical of how a journalist conducts him or herself in a news conference. And it's like, listen, man, like, I know I sound like a jackhole in that question, but I'm trying to do something here. You know, this isn't, I'm not making this stuff up out of my, like, I think really long and hard about what I'm trying to do with my question in a news conference. And it might seem clunky and it might miss, but there's, a reason I'm doing it. And I, I wish we could go back to the day because interviews themselves can be clunky. You're looking for a finished product. This is not 60 minutes where you're televising the interview, right? It's it's something where you're trying to get at something. And in a good interview, man, I mean, you 70% of the stuff gets left out because it's boring or stupid, or you asked a bad question or it was awkward. But mm-hmm. if But you have to sometimes ask weird or awkward or strange questions because sometimes that's how you get the good 30%. So Nathan, I, I get it. Everything is content. Everything is content. I get it. But I think it happens with the Browns more than Ohio State. But there are a lot of Browns fans who are just right in there with the news conference stuff and like judging, judging the questions when it's like it's not about the questions. It's about the answers you might get because the answers that you might get serve a purpose. And the purpose is for our readers and listeners and the fans of the team. So I do get frustrated. I, I, yeah. I understand it, but I kind of long for the old days sometimes when you could get in a news conference and try to go to work a little bit. There is uh, sometimes I think sometimes fans have a point like, Hey, why aren't you holding someone's feet to the fire about something? Sometimes when they say, why aren't you asking the tough questions? It's because they want someone to go in there and just ask the coach who's struggling why are you terrible? Why do you stink? Mm-hmm. Why are you letting me down emotionally on Saturday? <laughs> and it's like, we, we, we have to be a little bit more nuanced than that. I think it is one thing people should know. There are outlet, um, there are programs, college sports programs who either in the past or maybe as a current part of their, um, their rules for covering the team. When they have press conferences, people are not allowed to tweet, Reporters oh. are not supposed to tweet and do things like that during the press conference. You missed that here. You missed that. Was here. that, was that, that here? You missed the day when that was attempted for a day and people went bazonkers because Jerry asked us to do that sort of in the early stages of Twitter of like sort of the live tweeting of Twitter. And right. one of the, one of the writers on the beat was like, Oh, Ohio state's banning Twitter. And it was like, <laughs> and it was like, we're not, they're not banning Twitter. They're trying to keep everybody engaged in the process it's, it's so that cool. so that we can have some nuance and context to the answers. And so that everybody's not looking at their phone and they're engaged yeah. with the person that's having the press conference. Go ahead, Nathan. But just I mean, it's funny that you said that, because like six years ago, that was like a 24 hour news cycle of nationally. It was like, oh, I state bans Twitter. And it's like, that's not actually what they're trying to do. But other other programs have done it. And I'm not. I, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty big free speech person as, as people might imagine, but I actually don't really have a problem with that because they're not saying don't, 
they're, they're out. All they're simply asking is wait until there's like a full answer, which really sometimes the full answer doesn't come until the end of the press conference. Sometimes somebody asks something up front and the coach or player or whoever will say an answer. And then you cycle through until the other person later in the press conference says, Hey, you said this before, is this what you meant by that? And they'll say, no, actually, this is what I meant by that. You know what I mean? And like, but by then it's already been tweeted and retweeted 12 billion times because there's 16 outlets covering the team and they all tweeted out the same thing at first that maybe didn't have the full context. So um, that's all I think all, all part of what I was saying before about just being sort of a savvy consumer of this. It's on us to try to bake that context in. I do try to, when I'm texting from press conferences, make sure that I kind of put things out there like that sometimes be like, Hey, Ryan Day said this, but that needs to be someone needs to ask him a follow up on that because I'm not sure that makes sense. And then hopefully we do. Primary example, um, two weeks ago when we're asking a bunch of Kerry Combs defensive questions and then Bill comes in at the end and goes, is Kerry Combs still the defensive coordinator? Because every answer Ryan Day had given before, it kind of made it seem like he wasn't. So giving him that opportunity to clear that up. But to the point of the televised news conferences, I hate it because it's turned news conferences into more of a television show and an entertainment thing than an actual information gathering thing. Because one, we're dealing with 18, 19, 20 year olds who are probably not comfortable standing in front of people. So when you get a Chris Olave or you get a Travion Henderson, who I know from talking to him on the phone and having my own private conversations with him, he's a very smart kid, very intellectual kid who will talk to you about anything, but you get him in front of a group of people, put a microphone in his face. All of a sudden it's like, ah, He's not that good of a talker when that's not actually who he is as a character. And I hope obviously he'll grow into that as he gets older. But that's a lot of times what it becomes into is we throw these microphones in front of these kids and then wonder why they're not giving good quotes. Well, if there wasn't a television camera there and it wasn't always televised every time we get a chance to talk to Ryan Day, we might get better information because these kids will feel a little bit more comfortable, especially as they're building relationships with you. All right. So here's what we're going to do. You're going to get ready for three interviews on this part one of this podcast about covering Ohio State. First up are Ari Wasserman and Bill Landis. You guys know them from their time on Buckeye Talk. They now have the four to six with A and B podcast at The Athletic. They both write for The Athletic. I spoke with them for about 25 minutes. We reminisced a bit. And by the way, if you want to listen, I also joined them on their podcast that Mm -hmm. came out on Wednesday where I promoted my book because I will go anywhere to promote my book, but it was good to catch up with Bill and Ari. And I know a lot of you guys listening, listen to the three of us back in the day. So they are up next after them, Ben Koo of awful announcing who provides, I think a great broad perspective with insiders knowledge about covering Ohio state, the beat, the Buckeye scoop situation. And then the Columbus dispatch, Joey Kaufman and Bill Rabinowitz, that coverage team for the mainstream media outlet in Columbus. And that will end this podcast. That will be part one. And then listen for part two. It's going to be right on top of each other in the feed. I just can't put out a four-hour podcast. Part two is going to be Letterman Row, 11 Warriors, Bucknuts, and then Stephen, Nathan, and I to sort of wrap things up with what our audience says they want most in their Ohio State coverage. Here we go. Thanks for joining us on this. I know it's a little strange, but I hope you guys enjoy this look inside the Ohio State beat. All right, joined by old friends, Ari Wasserman and Bill Landis. Talk about what, the, you know, how you cover it, how you cover Ohio State. And I'm intrigued to hear what you guys have to say because 
Bill, you've covered it for multiple outlets. Ari, you've covered it for multiple, multiple outlets. And now you're off in the greater world. But I do, we're having a bunch of people on. I, I just want to like have everyone have like a statement of purpose, sort of about how they go about covering Ohio State football. Because I do think there's like 12 outlets that do it hardcore, but I think everybody does it a little bit differently. Landis, how would you say you try to cover Ohio State football? What's your approach? Um, I think I can sum it up pretty simply um, and maybe like juxtapose a little bit to Ari's method of covering the team. And I don't mean this to come off the wrong way at all, because I think Ari's very good at this. But I think Ari's method of covering the team is, how is this happening? <laughs> and my method of covering the team is, hey, guys, here's how this is happening. Oh, yeah. I, th- I think that Landis and I actually uh, work together quite well, because even on the podcast, now that I don't actually cover the team every single day. I'll come on the podcast and go, I'm going to say all these crazy things. And then you tell me why I'm wrong or right. And most of the time, I just kind of feel like what I want to do is lean. I I try very hard. I read message boards. I'm on Twitter. I read other people's work. I read comments on other people's stories. I'm like completely bought in. And what I always try to do is lean into the thing that people are talking about that day. Um, or, or the thing that people are fired up about. And I think I learned that with you at cleveland.com because we were so, you know, at the, at the beginning of our journalism duties and journeys, we had to drive traffic and interest to our site. And the best way to do that was to match headlines with what people were tweeting and talking about. Um, so like what our mission statement I think is um, at the athletic, the, the job has changed. It's not so much about quantity and trying to, um, do that as much, which is probably the most fun part of the job. Um, it's to make extra phone calls and try to get something different. Um, but that's something that you do as well too. So it's not that profound. Yeah. I, do, I think, yeah, I, I would just say like the, I mean, it's, it's like, it's all context. Right. And I, and I think we got that from, from starting to work with you at cleveland.com. It's just like, you know, we don't, I don't claim to be a big newsbreaker. I never have been. Maybe someday I will be, I don't really obsess over it. Maybe I should. Um, but I very much, try to pride myself anyway on contextualizing things in a way that is easily digestible for the fan base. And like Ari said, like sometimes you can kind of lean into the, um, I don't know, rabid nature of fandom, I guess. And certainly that happens around Ohio state a lot when particularly when Ohio state's playing like they are right now, but I try to um, attack those things in a more calm and rational way while also providing context that I think people really need at times when, you know, the team you're watching is a little confusing. I kind of view myself as somebody who reacts to things and views things the way a fan would and tries to write it in an entertaining way. So the fan can feel like comfort with it. If that makes sense, you know, like I'm not affected at all. Like if Ohio state loses a game, I don't care at all. And none of us do but I also feel like covering Ohio state for 10 years and having a father who grew up liking Ohio state and was from Columbus. I know how people feel in moments and I try my best to emulate what they feel through a vessel that can provide context in quotes uh, from being able to talk to the people that the fans can't. I do feel like when we started doing the digital thing at cleveland.com in 13 and then Landis came aboard in 14, there were a lot of times I felt back then when people would throw stuff away on Twitter, when people would have like an opinion on Twitter or comment on Twitter, it's like, why are you, why don't you write 300 words on that? 
sort of like the here's the deal kind of stuff that you're synth- I think synthesizing is a really important part of the job. Ari, it's what you're talking about. It's taking everything out there. There's this and that, whatever. And then here's my, I'm going to sort of synthesize it and present it to you. And Landis, I think the explaining of that, right. is like the, and then there's, there's, there's two different things. One's like, well, let's pull it all together. Here's what I think. And then there's the digging in and sort of, here's the real deal behind it. I think both of those are really valuable. And I do think you guys both do a really good job of that. And listen, our mission at cleveland.com has changed over the years. We don't do it right now exactly the same way you guys did it. Cause back when we were doing it, we weren't doing five podcasts a week. We didn't have tech subscriptions, mm-hmm. right? That, that, yeah. that Nathan and Steven and I really lean into the pods and the tech subscriptions. And that takes up a lot of time. So we don't do as many of the three or 400 word takes on here's the deal kind of stuff that I think was probably the best stuff that we did back in the day. Cause basically we were writing like it was a podcast, right? Here's a 400 word take that you'd hear on a podcast, but it's the written word. Nathan and Steve and I now give that in a podcast five days a week, but I think we really did hit on something there. And I felt like we filled a niche back at a time when there weren't as many Ohio state podcasts, we were writing in a podcast style that I think people liked. And also too, you don't forget, and you guys still do this to a certain extent, but we did videos, man. We did video after video after video, Standing outside the Woody Hayes Center, technology wouldn't work. And it's like online and in the newspaper, because back then they were printing our stories in the Cleveland Plain Dealer. It was journalism, quotes, the right way to do it. And then like in the videos, we would be standing next to each other. And then we would be giving you our video form of podcasts and then sticking them on top of stories. And it's like, I still, it's funny. You, you bring up, why are you giving that thing away on Twitter? It's like, that still happens to me at my current job now. Last week, Joel Klatt, your favorite human being on the face of the earth, tweeted something about here are the top five jobs in America as I see it. I don't know if you guys saw that tweet. And then I quote tweeted it and said, here are my top five jobs and why. And then my editor was like, why are you doing that on Twitter? Why don't you call people and post a story? So it turned into an anonymous survey that I worked on with a few of my coworkers of calling a hundred people who work for a college football team and getting their top five and putting that together for context of what the people in the building think. Cause who cares what I think? And it's like, I have to remind myself constantly of Twitter is free. Twitter is fun. It's, it's addictive. You want to get out there. You want to get your brand out there. You want to talk to people and do, but like, we still work for a company that is trying to monetize our, our opinions, our viewpoints and our journalistic abilities. And like, 10 years after we had to do that at cleveland.com, like I still have to remind myself, don't give that away. Well, there's a balance there, right? I mean, you have yeah, to, right. and I don't, I don't, I think Doug, you maybe approach Twitter more like I do. Like, I don't, I mean, I get jokes off on Twitter for sure, but I don't, uh, I don't tweet a ton of my opinion on, on, on Twitter. I don't put a lot of my opinion out there. I kind of save it for, for what I write, but I think there is value, but there's actually tremendous value, I think, in putting some of that out there because you need to make people aware of who you are and where you work. And, um, I did like Twitter is not, it is a way for us to acquire subscribers. It's a way for you guys to get tech subscribers, get people to go read cleveland.com. Um, but I think people might be surprised at like how limited that is. Um, but even then it's still important. So I think, I think doing some of the things like Ari's talking about, like maybe there are things that are better suited to be behind a paywall or on your website to help, to help the place that's employing you. But at the same time, I think you need to attract attention to yourself and like try to build a brand in that way so that people want to come to you, to you in the first place. I do think on the way up, 
as you're establishing yourself in your career, the Twitter, Twitter can really help you. I almost called yeah. it the Twitter, the Twitter, like an old man. Uh, but I do, I think we're all at the point where people know who we are. I mean, are people really going to discover us now and be like, Oh, I had no idea. Right. I mean, so I do think there's less value in it for us because we kind of are who we are. And I don't know how much a viral tweet is really going to drive traffic to us. So I'm much more cognizant of like dad jokes, link links, but any real opinion that's you want to hear something crazy for a story or a podcast. Not to interrupt you, which I do all the time, but you will not remember. Maybe you'll remember this, but this is a very significant moment in time in my life. So I went to Adolphus Washington's ceremony. It was in Cincinnati, his announcement Mm -hmm. ceremony at a high school. I can't even remember what high school was. It was Cincinnati. And this was during the time where Ohio State was looking for a coach to replace Fickle. And Adolphus Washington told me, at that ceremony, I think it was a one-on-one interview even. I mean, it's been 10 years, but it's. he said Urban Meyer is going to be the head coach. And I don't know if you remember this. I do. But I went to Twitter and I said, Adolphus Washington, Colin, I believe Urban Meyer will be the head coach. Quotes. Washington also indicated that Urban Meyer has been in contact with him. And then you retweeted that. And that was the first time a mainstream journal. And I remember at the time you had like, 20,000 Twitter followers. And I thought to myself, like, oh, my goodness. I just got legitimized by a newspaper reporter with a million followers. And, like, this is exactly what I need to make it in this career. And, like, I look back at it now and it's just like, oh, my God, what a moron I was. I had, like, the most important story that a human being could possibly get in Ohio State history in the palm of my hand. And, like, I gave it to your audience. And like, I was happy driving home because I got retweeted by the great Doug Maurice. And it's like, I should have written that. Like, why did I tweet that? You know what I mean? So like, it's like this constant balance, even throughout the years of, of, of working at cleveland.com and trying to, you know, contextualize and put things into content. Uh, But like, even to this day, that's a constant struggle. And it's like, the only goal here is uh, to, to give context to our readers. But, you know, as I'm growing older, and I don't know if it's because of the podcast realm or because of the way I like to write or what I find interesting, but I would like to know like how you define being a journalist or a sports writer, because the more and more I grow into this business, the more I'm realizing that we're entertainers, like we're entertainment for people. Our podcast is entertainment. Our writing is to entertain people like our takes, our playoff predictions, everything that we do around Ohio state sports Um, And to a certain extent, other things that surround it is to entertain people. And I know that there's journalistic integrity and being somebody who's going to go out there and give you the scoop and the real deal of what's happening. But if you peel away all the layers of 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 journalism and you really kind of just put yourself, you're an entertainment vessel. And I think that's pretty cool. And I'm trying my best to be as entertaining as possible. In my writing and a podcast. I do think uh, I did a survey with our tech subscribers and sort of asked, you know, what are the things that drive you to different Ohio State outlets? And and I gave them six options. And the personalities of the people at the site was one of the six options. And that's second. It's the second biggest thing for the now. I think possibly, you know, this is our Buckeye Talk Cleveland.com tech subscription thing, which is I'm not breaking. I ain't breaking no news. So like if you're with me and with Nathan, you know, like that's not what we do. So I would assume people kind of are doing our thing. It's a skewed thing, but I do think people do care about that maybe more than I thought. 
I do want I have very specific things I want to ask you guys because I think I really want your opinion on these and we could go for an hour. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to because we're going to have a bunch of people on here. Landis, the Ohio State beat. How would you describe it? Is it super competitive? Does everybody hate each other? Are we constantly worried about each other? Do we get along? Do we all just kind of have our own lanes? And so we don't have to, you know, worry that much about what everybody else is doing. What You've been around it a long time now for Cleveland.com and The Athletic. What do you think of it? I think that it is, it is, it is not nearly as cutthroat as you might expect it to be considering how large it is um, and how important of a beat Ohio State is. I think for the most part, all of us get along maybe here and there. People don't, I don't, I don't think I've ever had much of a personal problem with anybody on the beat. Um, not to say that it hasn't happened before. Um, I don't know. Like I don't, I don't find myself worrying too much about what other people are doing. I think maybe when I was first on the beat, I did, but I feel like I've kind of carved out a little bit of a lane for myself that, and I do some things that not many other people do. Um, and that's like film study kind of stuff. Um, not to say there are really good guys who write about X's and O's for Ohio State, but I think I kind of do it in a different way. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't. I pay attention to who's breaking the news and stuff like that. And there are definitely times where like I'm like, damn, I wish I would have broken that or could have been bet more on, on the ball with that kind of thing. But no, I don't. I don't find it to be super competitive. And and honestly, I think the only. I think I've told you this before. The only the only person I kind of worry about on the beat in terms of what they're writing is you sometimes. But you don't like you're just a, you're a pro podcaster now, so I don't have to worry about that as much anymore. Yeah, I don't write anymore. <laughs> I forgot how to write. Um, so, I mean, there was a time when we were rolling at the beginning sort of, of Cleveland.com where I feel like we were very concerned about what other yeah. sites were doing and did another site write a story based off a question that we asked that we're trying to work an angle and they put it up in five minutes and they stole our idea. And I definitely, I, I have, I have one absolute screaming fight on the beat with another person, one kind of screaming fight on the beat with another person. I'm, we don't have to go into that, but, and I'm sure, I'm sure there are people who don't like me and I'm sure that I have chilled out part because probably because my job description has changed partly because I just think, what you said, Landis, about everyone kind of figuring out their own lanes. Like, I just, I'm not as wound up about that. We sort of approach it differently at cleveland.com. So I, I am not as wound up about stuff for sure. But there was a time when all three of us were very on edge of like, hey, we're, we asked this, we're going to write it for the morning. And this person just put it up right now. What a jackhole they are. Right. I mean, Ari, that's, we were, we did a, a decent yeah, I mean, amount of Landis, Landis is the only one out of the three of this, uh, us on this podcast right now that hasn't fought with anybody else on the beat. Yeah. I've gotten into screaming <laughs> matches. <laughs> I've gotten in screaming matches with people. Guys, you remember us in Chicago. I've screamed at people that are on different beats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, like I've got, so like I am competitive as hell. And I am still very much concerned about what other people are doing. And I get angry all the time about things. And I think this is probably a lot because of the gene that you passed down to me. Mm, sorry, dad. Yeah. And I just like, like, so I, you know, to me, I think we all have our own specific lanes. And I think it's part of it too, is like kind of how we got molded a little bit at Cleveland comic Landis, whenever we are on our podcast, like Landis is the person who is talking about the technical way the game is played and he breaks down film and he understands why Oregon could score on the same play four times more than I can. I know it's crazy. I think it's, I think it's unbelievable. And I'm like reactive to that, but Landis has the technical ability to do that. 
Doug, you've been an idea guy, and I still envy that about you. Your ideas and the way that you view football is incredible. And like, even just what you were saying on the appearance and other on our show that hasn't aired yet, but about the way that two recruiting classes are stacked together. Like, I don't think in those terms and you always were very, very good at that. And I think that your ideas are the reason why your stories are so unique. Me, I write recruiting profiles and features um, about players and trends and things that you taught me that I don't believe that anybody else in the beat does that often or ever at all. And then really I've cultivated a new career doing it because nobody does it anywhere. And it's like everybody on the beat has their own thing. Like if you want an Ohio state apologist, you know where to go to find that. If you want an Ohio State homer, you know where to go find that. If you want message boards, you want to know where to find it. And it's like, I like everybody in the room. Fine. Like, I, th- I like everybody personally. I don't love the way that everybody does the job. And I'm sure that there's a lot of people that don't love the way that I do the job. And it's like, I'm okay with the idea of being competitive and angry sometimes. Or if you take a question that I asked for a very specific story and then write a, a 300 word post about it on your blog. And then people look at that and can't differentiate the 2000 word feature on report. Like that pisses the hell out of me. And I like, remember who I fought with and who's done what from five, six, seven years ago. And I'm not ashamed of that, but at the end of the day too, I think that, you know, being in other press rooms now, since going into this national role and, and kind of talking to other people in other beats, I do think that it is good that Ohio state's beat seems to get along personally pretty Mm. well. Um, And there's a difference between, you know, getting along professionally and getting along personally, but it's also remarkable too. There hasn't been that much turnover in that room. You know, it's still the same group of 10 people that were covering the hell out of it when we started that are still doing it and doing a very good job. So, you know, I think that everybody has their, their role to play. And I think that that helps people get along better. I do think we always got mad. Like there should be a give and take. Someone asks a good question. Everybody writes the answer. Someone different asks a good question. Everybody writes the answer. We got mad at times where it felt like some people were givers and some people were only takers. And like at the advent of yeah. Twitter, when people were standing around the outside of group interviews, never asking a question and live tweeting the interesting answers that other people's questions got. That's when I wanted to commit murder. So like, I think we've moved on as a beat. We're much better about that. I do think there's a pretty good give and take right now. I do want to get this perspective from both you guys, Ari first, and then Landis, I know you have a view on it too. Ari, with what you're doing now from a national perspective, I know you're not out in beat packs at other schools and stuff, but from what you've learned, is the Ohio State beat unique in its size and how many outlets are dedicated to it? Or would you say that at the major programs, they're pretty similar? I was at the opening in California a few months ago. Yeah. Um, covering the quarterback camp that had Quinn Ewers and all the best quarterbacks in the country. It was national recruiting writers like me and journalists from local publications. And then the Ohio state beat, like you don't like half the Ohio state beat was there. And it's not like there was a Georgia contingent or an Alabama contingent or a Clemson contingent. It's just like Ohio state beat travels like maniacs. You know, it's like Dan Hope was there and Mark Givler was there and, you know, people from Letterman Row, Austin Ward and and Jeremy Birmingham were there. And it's like when I went to the opening, I felt like I was at an Ohio State reunion because I had moved to Dallas and I no longer live in Columbus. And I saw all the people that I felt like I was competitive with back then. And it's just like crazy to me. And I don't know if it's just the the beat mirrors what the passion of the fan base is. 
you know, like if Ohio state's got the most rabid, insane, uh, hungry fan base, there is in college football. So the beat has to reflect that to feed that monster, but there is no other beat in college football in my walk of life that would mirror the events that Ohio state reporters go to. It's like, if Ohio state has a, like I was going back and looking through some of the archives a few months ago of my job at cleveland.com. And it's like, we were talking about the 2018 class and it's like, I drove to Pittsburgh from Columbus on a Sunday to watch the Christian blue Smith play. Uh And it was just like, that guy never played a down from what I can recall at Ohio state. It's like, I was on the road in my car in different States and different cities, constantly covering recruits that hadn't even committed yet. And it's like, I don't think, and there were other people there doing the same thing from the beat. And I don't think there's another, another beat in college football that is the dedicated enough or or the same way to traveling and being at every single event. It's like, you've got Ohio state reporters at Rick Reichardt auto, like taking pictures of NIL deals. It's like, if there's an Ohio state connection and it's somewhere, people from the Ohio state are going to be there. Landis, you were around the Penn state beat. You have some familiarity with that. Just what's your view on whether you think the Ohio state beat is unique or more similar to the big time beats. I think it is unique. Um, you know, I've been around Penn state quite a bit. Um, you know, we've like, we've, we've shared space with the Alabama beat when they played in 2014, certainly been around the Clemson beat a whole lot. Um, USC, Washington, um, maybe to a lesser extent, but like it, it's a takeover. Like whenever Ohio, when the Ohio state beat has to go on the road to cover the Buckeyes, it's like, there's a, it's an army of people. Um, not, we, we don't necessarily like, you know, cohort that way and travel together as one but there's a lot of us there um and like in these media um like hospitality suites of bowl games it's just like there are 75 ohio state writers in there and they're like eight people who cover whoever ohio state happens to be playing in that bowl game like it's insane so i don't know you know i've not been i've not been to like georgia per se or you know like texas a&m or texas maybe those are similar but in my time covering ohio state and some of the big marquee programs they played i have not encountered anything quite like what follows ohio state I can't remember this, Doug, so forgive me if you were there, but did you cover the Heisman ceremony when Haskins was a finalist? No, I did not. So I don't remember who else were the final, who won the, the Heisman that year. I think it was Kyler Murray. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And Tua was there. And Tua. At the Heisman ceremony, which was at the New York Stock Exchange, like it was this whole thing. You had to wear pants, like pleated pants and a tucked in shirt. And you had to be dressed a certain way. And like there was like a security checkpoint to go through. And it was just like the Ohio State beat was there. Like you should have seen the Haskins table in comparison to the Kyler table. And who else was there? Did you say Tua. 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 It was like Haskins table was like you would think he was winning the Heisman by a million because there were an Ohio State beat was just swarming the Haskins table. And then you have the two people who were actually the favorites to win it, like basically ignored because their beats were back home somewhere. It's like, I don't think people from Alabama were flying up to Manhattan to go cover the Heisman ceremony, you know, the way that Ohio State, yeah. it, it is really, in my opinion, pretty lopsided. And even at the bowl games that you've seen, like Atlantis just mentioned, the, yeah. the beats that travel to the bowl games didn't, I mean, you have interns flying from Columbus to the Rose Bowl if Ohio State's playing in that game or the, or the Fiesta Bowl or wherever it is. It's crazy, man. Good training ground. Good training ground, I think. You yeah. know, um, I think it's it, it. there are things that, uh, you know, the kind of stuff that we talked about that I think and I think, you know, you guys are experiencing this now, you know, especially you are. It's like, hey, the stuff here, it's like, man, well, we're trying to do this, we're trying to do that. And then you go out into the world. It's like there's nobody else doing that, man. Like, go, go for it. So I think it is uh, I think it is a good place for for journalists to 
get a taste of what it's like out there. All right. I mean, we go, we go 10 hours, we go 10 hours, but the good thing is we got you here. I came on your pod. When's your pod going to be out? When's your pod four to six with A and B with me on It'll it? be on Wednesday. I, I either, think or either Wednesday evening or Thursday morning. Yeah. Okay. And can I, can I say one thing before you yeah. wrap this up? Yeah. And I was telling this to, to Landis yesterday and he didn't respond because I realized I was blowing him up while he was in the middle of the day press conference. <laughs> Sorry about that, Bill. I don't, I'm not at the press conferences anymore. So I just like wildly text Bill sometimes when I'm not there. I will say, and I don't know if this is a, and I think you're going to love this, this edition, not to toot my own horn, but it's an astute observation. If you think about Ohio state's football program, and all the things that have happened around it, the stories that have blown up. And I'm sorry if I'm not supposed to acknowledge this on, on the podcast, but like the thing that's going on with Buckeye yeah. Scoop right you now. Can, you can acknowledge okay, it. Yeah, Nevada Buck and the yeah. Four Horsemen or the Four Wisemen to the thing that started my decade of covering Ohio State, which was the Trestle scandal. And then you have the Zach Smith thing. You have the Alex Anzalone thing with the un- the, the weirdness that happened on his visits and like the overall arching weirdness that has happened, the, the tap gate stuff, the, the NIL stuff, every single possible story that could get sucked up into the Twitter sphere and become main news nationally at Ohio state, the urban Meyer stuff, the health stuff, the Zach Smith stuff. I don't even know if I'm forgetting anything. Probably I am major things. There's, there's been a no fl- at, uh, Fogo to Chow and uh, Rosemont, Illinois yeah. last year. Yeah, there was a protest led by a. Oh, I think I feel like Ohio State is the focal point of all the craziness of this sport. Like, and I don't think there's been another program that's been in the forefront of the college football fans' brain more than Ohio State for a variety of different reasons. And Landis made this point to me when we were texting about it on Tuesday. He goes, I don't know if that's typical because craziness happening at other places is probably just as prevalent. But at Ohio State, it seems to be national news more. And I think part of the reason why that's the case is because it's covered so thoroughly by so many people. It's just like the I'm like being told by my editors at The Athletic to write a profile on Nevada Buck. And it's like, you mean the Nevada book that we've been laughing about for the last 10 years and and joking about, about some of the stuff that he's put on the internet. It's like, this isn't new to Ohio state, but the entire world now is feasting on this. And it's like, think about all the crazy stuff that's happened on this beat. And you're, what is it? 15 years being on the beat now. Yeah. It's like completely unmatched to any other beat that you could be on. And it's not even close. And it's like, if there's an issue or a problem or an interest, like the Quinn Ewers thing, like that's Ohio state right in the middle of it. The thing that the person who leaves high school early, it's like, it's always Ohio state. And I don't know if it's because it's always Ohio state or it's because it's, it's covered so deeply by so many people. And it becomes national news because it's a thing more and it's not ignored. And there's more people bringing attention to it. Does that make sense? No, I think it's true. I mean, USC's had some crazy stuff too, but again, they get lost a little bit, I think, in the LA market. So I do think it's a combination. Ohio State is endlessly interesting and every single thing that is interesting. It is by it is one of the three most interesting programs, but it is the most covered of those interesting programs. So everything becomes something. So I agree with that. All right, go listen to four to six with A and B. Uh, make sure if you don't subscribe to the athletic subscribe to the athletic to go get the content these guys are producing it's awesome stuff uh their podcasts are super fun they're just great dudes and they're great journalists and we're grateful to have them back on buckeye talk good talking to you fellas i mean we talk i mean it's like i see landis yeah. all the time and i'm gonna cry again i'm like i'm having these emotions are coming back again like I, it just like feels good like 
Oh God. Thanks for having us. Uh, yeah. It's always a pleasure seeing you, Doug. I hope you're doing well. And you know, text me, man. I, I will. You. <laughs> I will. Well, you got, you got news happening. You got news happening. So yes, yeah. we will be, we'll be along the alert for that. All right. Bill and Ari, original members of Buckeye Talk. Great to have you. We'll be back right after this. Grateful to have Ben Koo back on Buckeye Talk. It was on, I think, like four years ago, Ben. When Landis was still here, I think we had you on. But you are the person in the world to talk to about this stuff because you have intimate knowledge of Ohio State as an Ohio State fan, an alum, and you have a 10,000-foot view as a member of the outside media, founder, CEO, dude at awfulannouncing.com, one of the very, very, very best, most interesting, most comprehensive sports media sites on the internet. So we got a lot to cover, Ben. But first of all, man, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me on. And that, that out of all the podcasts and radio shows I've been on, that's probably the most uh, appreciative and, and warm intro I've had. So I'm always happy to come on with that level of an intro. Well, I, I like you. You have a very unique view on things. And I think sometimes in the media world, it's hard to be unique these days, but you really come at it in an interesting way in analyzing sports media. So obviously we're having this big Buckeye talk session about covering Ohio state spurred by what happened at Buckeye scoop and uh, Nevada buck and Kirk Barton leaving that site. You wrote a story about this for awful announcing that again, kind of only you could write. And I saw people like, Kevin Clark from The Ringer, who is a national NFL writer, some other people, a New York Times person talking about it, just intrigued by this story, even though they have no association with Ohio State, because of message board culture and what that is in college football. Ben, first of all, what kind of reaction have you gotten to the story that you posted at Awful Announcing? I don't know if you have the metrics and you can see stuff, but like, were people into your story? Yeah, I, I had a feeling this would do well from a traffic standpoint, and that's not why I wrote it. Um, the, the traffic's been really good. I think we have about 60,000, 75,000 page views at this point, um, and it's still going. Uh, when I saw the lawsuit filing come out, and I had kind of tracked the story and had some fam familiarity with it, I was kind of had a lot on my plate, but I, I wrestle with what I should write about and when because I have a lot of other responsibilities beyond my writing. And it fell in this bucket of like, well, if you don't write about it, what site will? Right. And often this happens where things slip through the cracks for us and it's not picked up elsewhere, um, especially with like a site like Deadspin under a new ownership group who covers less stuff. I was I was happy to see Cleveland.com covered. Um, but if you look around, like the dispatch hasn't covered the other Ohio State sites aren't covering. So. You know, I was like, I, you know, I can do this and I, I think I can do a pretty good job with it. And I had a lot going on, but you know, the reaction, a lot of people, you know, message board culture, like you talked about, it's its own weird world and it's weird for college football and it's weird for Ohio state. And a lot of people was a lot of insight into the dynamics of what that's like. So it, it's definitely got um, a lot of people talking about it. So again, we don't, you know, we don't make too many assumptions. I think a lot of General Ohio State fans are kind of familiar with the name Nevada Buck. Certainly they know Kirk Barton from his time playing for the Buckeyes, but there are a lot of other people. There are a lot of sites that have message boards, very active message boards. There are a lot of sites that, you know, pay, have people pay to get inside access to the message boards. We don't have a message board at cleveland.com, but we have a version of it now with the tech subscription service that we talk about constantly on this podcast where we don't post things 
necessarily generally that everybody can see. Well, I mean, it's basically a message board. I mean, it, it really kind of is a message board. We post stuff. People can comment. We comment on their comments. The, the texters can't see each other's comments, which is different than a message board. They can only see ours and what we send back to them. But there is there's this like insidery thing, Ben. As a fan, you understand this. As, a, as someone who covers the media, you understand this. What do you think of message boards? I mean, I do think it's a great, in a lot of ways, it's a great avenue for fans who are really into it, especially recruiting or stuff like that, what's going on with the team, to get that insider thing. And it's a way for sites to make money with that insider access. But I do think we also know it can devolve, I think, at times, like a lot of things can. What's your general take <coughs> on, on college football message board culture? Yeah, uh, I, I've been a member of various college uh, football message boards for like 20 years. And it, it's really changed and it's changed with society. You know, college football message boards became popular probably in the 90s and continue to grow and grow. It's a massive business. Yahoo bought rivals for 100 million. Uh, 24-7 was purchased by CBS. There's a new company. Um, so it, it's a lucrative business. And these things kind of became popular for a generation before Twitter. So yeah. in, in a lot of ways, it's kind of like a pre-Twitter tool for people to, you know, have a community, to find like-minded people, to really focus on one topic, whatever your team is, particularly around recruiting and, and play calling and complaining about your coach. Um, but it, it's really changed the last five or six years, you know, as, you know, th these message boards, um, you know, ha have gotten a little bit more toxic, a little bit more feisty, a little bit more political. Um, it's got a little clicky, which is what my story was, as Kirk Barton and Nevada Buck had kind of cut off a sliver of the Ohio State fan base that was very loyal to them, but very argumentative of other people and other sites and, and other insiders. They wanted to kind of be known as the only insiders so, you know, for a fan base like Ohio State, it, it's a super competitive beat, as you know. And the way, you know, that message boards work and subscription sites work, um, if you can just find a small group that is really loyal to you, uh, you can make money off of that. And also, I think there's a, a part of it is just having your ego fed that look at me, I have 200, 500, 1000 people who think I'm amazing and always agree with me and they yell at my enemies. Um, so that, that's now a part of it as well, because message boards monetize well, because people join a community and it becomes like their digital hangout. You know, people go mm -hmm. there every day to see what's new. Um, you know, they're, they're not as much drawn to like the ana analysis of the writers and the recruiting update. It's the community of like, these are the people that I hang out with digitally and, you know, it's my barbershop, it's my bar. Um, and it's, it's segmented in a way, unlike Twitter, where usually no outsider is going to come in there and, and, and say, you know, that's a real crappy thing you said there. Or um, I don't agree with your politics. That's a fake news, you know. Um, so it allows people to be comfortable and not kind of um, overly scrutinized for what they say. Yeah. I, I do understand that idea of it can be something to feed an ego. I mean, I've, I've even heard of places going to like five podcasts a week just to feed 
you know, the host's ego of like, oh, I want to talk and people want to listen to me all the time. Instead of one a week, let's do five a week. I mean, sometimes yeah. the egos that people have, they just, it, they, it gets away from them. And, and frankly, they need to be pulled back sometimes. The, the, the other thing, Ben, that I think is, is really interesting that I want to get your, your view on, because I do think, I mean, you're right on, on message board culture, but again, there's a lot of that. Uh, most of that is positive, right? Like we, we've tr- we believe we've built a little community with the Buckeye Talk tech subscription, right? That like there's the team that you love. Nobody has any illusions about that. It's like, it's based on a very successful football team, but then you want kind of your people within that. And so, you know, I, I have been doing this for 17 years, Ben, I, for years at Cleveland.com, I was like, why don't we have message boards? Can't we have a message board? Because one thing about a message board when it's really working is the readers create the content for you. They come up with topics. They do stuff. You don't even have to be smart or come up with a great angle or come up with great inside information. They do it for you for free and create this discussion point. So I, 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 I mean, message boards are a great idea. I always wish we kind of would have had them. The beat in general, though, Ben, I mean, it is remarkable to me at a place like Ohio State. And every time I'm, I've joked about this with multiple people, every time you think, man, this beat is so saturated. How could you have any more? Another one starts, just like Scoop did. Scoop came out of nowhere. Letterman Row did not exist a couple years ago. Now it's associated with On3, which is a national network that didn't exist last year. And we still have Bucknuts with 247, and we have Buckeye Grow with Rivals, and we have BSB with Scout. We have 11 Warriors as an independent entity. The Ozone was an original. John Perennis at the Ozone practically invented the internet. They're still around. We have the dispatch. We have us. We now have the athletic, which has a great Ohio State presence. Ben, it it boggles. And if I left anyone out, I apologize. SI.com. Brendan Gulick at SI.com is new on the scene. You know, USA Today will have like the for the win stuff where they have specific Ohio State stuff. It boggles my mind, Ben, sometimes how many people can make money off this one beat because nobody would be starting new sites if you couldn't make money doing it. What do you think of the number of outlets that cover Ohio State? Does it make sense to you? Because, man, this is Buckeye Nation and you got to feed the beast. Or is it even a little nuts to you? I would say it's a little nuts to me, but I think it works in the realm of Ohio State. I don't think you could do this for Indiana or Purdue or Illinois or Northwestern. And and my, my basic theory of this is like, Ohio State is as close to perfect, especially on the football front, as almost anything probably in your life. Is Ohio State football better performing than your marriage or you at your job, your situation at your job, or the relationship with your kids or whatever you're into? It's probably, there's probably room for improvement. There's probably room for stress or your relationship with like the Cleveland Browns or the Indians or the calves and all of those things have their level, their peaks and valleys of enthusiasm and your support and how you feel about them. But Ohio state football, like we talked about before we went live, you know, it's, it's pretty darn good when you lose zero to one regular season games in like half the years, two thirds of the years, you know, depending on how far back you go. So I think people love not only the escape of sports that they love watching football, but they love gravitating towards something that really kind of flirts with perfection every year with just enough kind of scares to, to keep you engaged. So I think Ohio state fans, you know, 
there's so much more than other fan bases, just the sheer scale of the people who are on these websites, but they're also on these websites so much. Instead of going to one site twice a day, there's probably a lot of fans that are going to three sites and they're reading six articles a day. And that's why you can explain the amount of these new sizes or these new sites with, you know, growing staffs and, you know, continues to trend upward. If we were to go into like a Nebraska or Miami period where we have like a decade or two of like eight and four, seven and five, you know, people are still going to complain and they're going to be on those sites and they're going to be engaged. But I, I think the size of the beat would, would narrow at that point. No, I think that's right. It's always, it's very hard to <laughs> sort of wrap, sort of, I mean, you know it, but you don't want to admit it. It's like, I'm a great journalist. I'm a great writer. I'm a great podcaster. People love me. And it's like, yeah, the team you cover is successful. I mean, maybe, yeah, you know, right? That it's like so much of our fates, all of us on this beat are determined by how many games does the team win? So I think we, we all realize that to an extent. And again, there's a reason that the beat at Rutgers is not like this, <laughs> like it is at Ohio state. Um, I don't know how to ask you this, Ben, but like I, I saw you do just kind of a funny uh, tweet the other day. I think it was like, well, who, how do you describe the different types of Ohio state fans who visit the different outlets that exist <laughs> at Ohio state again, from 11 warriors to Letterman row to the dispatch to BSB to Buckeye Grove to buck nuts to everybody in between to cleveland.com. So I'm not going to ask you to repeat that, but just do you feel like there is a difference in the outlets that cover Ohio State? Or do you feel like, I mean, just to be honest, like, hey, you know what? Ryan Day had a press conference and there's just nine versions of the press conference story that everybody kind of does their own thing and somehow everybody can still survive. How, How would you sort of, from your perspective, describe maybe the different ways or not so different ways this team's covered? Yeah, I, I think that's interesting. I think when I, and I follow like tons of the writers and I think the difference is less than the content. Um, you have say like, I think 11 Warriors, you would say produces the most content. So if you're like a reader only, you're mostly a reader, that might be your site because they're cranking, you know, five to 10 articles out a day. But if you're someone who just wants like the, the, the beat coverage, you know, a print publication might be your thing and less kind of commentary or if you like X's and O's Buckeye scoop had, had a different thing. So sometimes it's the actual content that is driving your consumption. And the thing with Twitter is you can just follow everyone and just click on what you want. Uh, I think my comment was more like the readership itself. I think a lot of people go to these sites based on, you know, it's like picking your, your bar, you know, this mm, bar that's is a hipster. great way to say it. You know, this bar is hipsters. This bar has like working guys, coming off their like shift at the docks this bar here is like you know kind of a a bougie place that you know rich people kind of talk so i think my tweet was more about you know the communities with the message boards and the comments and and the twitter followings they all have a little bit of a different flavor and i think i was putting it out there because i noticed that and i think that greatly and there's some message board communities where i'm like watch out, watch out. Don't let, you know, you got to, you might not want to share who you voted for the last election. You could be in some trouble. Um, And that goes both ways. And uh, you know, so I I wanted to see if there was external validation 
if other people had really picked up on the nuances of these communities and, and readerships as much as I had. Yeah. And generally speaking, I, I, I think that validation came that, you know, this site has a, a more tribal audience who thinks one way politically and this one, same thing, but for the other, you know, side of the political spectrum. And, you know, a, a lot of it was kind of t- tied to political identity where I think certain communities have groups of posters who are very feverent in certain beliefs, maybe it's COVID or maybe it's politics. And if those people post the most and just kind of really gang up on people, the people who think the other way are going to leave and potentially find another site. And I think we've had different things with the Big Ten season getting canceled, with uh, Urban Meyer leaving, with Zach Smith, where certain sites and communities have been more pro and against some of those Mm. changes. And it's driven shifts in those communities. Cause I'll tell you what, everybody has their favorite bar, right? As you said, but they all have the same beer. Yes. So it's not, you don't go to a bar cause you like beer. I get it. There's IPAs and crap stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I don't drink beer, so I don't really understand it. But again, I mean like, you know, a Bud Light's a Bud Light, but you go because of the people there and the atmosphere and the kind of music they play and all that kind of stuff. That's a really good analogy that we are kind of our little different bars. But guess what, Ben, there are neighborhoods that have 10 bars and somebody goes, you know what? I'm going to open the 11th bar in this neighborhood. And they make money because people love beer and people love Ohio State football. So maybe maybe that's what maybe that's why it keeps happening. Where is the Ben Koo awful announcing Ohio State site? Where's the spinoff? Awful announcing <laughs> slash Buckeyes. What are you doing, Ben? Let's go. Now, there's you know, an opening I, here to be the 13th site. I, I, have, I think I've written on two or three of the sites. And I actually started writing. The first thing I wrote was for uh, Scout. And then it was for Bucknuts when they went independent. So awful announcing would have never happened if I didn't kind of weasel my way into Ohio State writing. Uh, I'd love to do more Ohio State writing. I've, I've done some things for Letterman Row. Um, you know, I think I've been on land grant Holy land thing. Hey, if, if, if you want to talk to whoever makes the decisions there, wants a little Ohio state analysis, like I'm happy to do it. I, I love the team. And, and I'm one of those people where Ohio state is easy for me, like watching football and basketball where they put out a good product. I like both of our coaches, you know, things go, fans get a little crazy when we lose. But, you know, how is your pro team doing? How, how are you doing elsewhere in your life? I love the, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the, they're, they're not perfect. They're, they're, but they're, they're close. They're, ch- they're chasing it. And I, I love, I love being a fan and it takes a little pressure off to not write, but I get that itch sometimes. So I don't think I'd ever be the 11th. I wouldn't start a bar. Yeah. But maybe I would go for a, a night and, and tend the bar or, you know, be a waiter or whatever for, for a little bit, because I have thoughts just like everyone else. And I'm not, I'm not going to spend my time on the message board. Uh, you got, you got to pay me and I'm not hanging out with those lunatics. So. And we were just talking about how message board culture, it can be positive and people like it. Don't call them lunatics. Some well, of them are listening to this. No, listen, I, I know what you're saying. It, it, there's a lot of it that, just like with anything, there can be like the loudest people a lot of times make the biggest yeah. noise. And there's a lot of dedicated, loyal, smart fans on there. And sometimes they get drowned out by people who are wound up about something. Uh, ben Koo, you're, you've you've found, you've created, not found, that's not fair to say, you created, you created a niche for yourself here in the media world, which is something that I certainly admire. 
awfulannouncing.com. If you guys are not familiar with it, I would ac- absolutely recommend it to you because it's kind of like the, the little interesting inside baseball kind of stuff. Here's the bottom line. If you listen to this podcast, this Buckeye Talk version, talking about how to cover Ohio State, if you think this podcast is interesting, you will like awfulannouncing.com. If you think, ah, I just want to talk about football, I don't want to talk about covering football, then maybe not, right? But the inside baseball stuff, you, I think you guys even did a post when I yelled at TV people for saying that I asked a weird question at the end of something. <laughs> and then I said, do you want to have a question asking contest? And you guys <laughs> did a little uh, post about me. So I'm not here to create content, but I'm not against it. And if anybody wants to have a question asking contest, let's go tomorrow. So I was honored to be on awful announcing that day. I, I forgot about that for a second. I love, I love that, that you fired back. Let's have a question asking contest. That was a great moment. I, I hope you liked the post. Yeah. I, you know, we, we try to look at what's going on with sports media and there's a lot going on. You have there you know, is. every day. There's so much going on and we think that topic deserves a site and we try to do it in kind of a, a fun, easy way. Sometimes we, we get a little serious, but you know, people are interested in how they consume their sports and how it's being provided to them and what decisions are going into the strategy. And, you know, why is, why should I watch big noon over game day or game day over big noon? Or why is Ohio state playing at noon against Oregon? Uh, or, you know, are we ever going to have Tim Brando announcing one of our games? Cause that was just freaking awful this last weekend. So you know, th- those are things that, that we like to get into. And if, if you're interested about that type of stuff, come check us out. If not, hey, enjoy the games. L- less for you to worry about. I'm, I'm not offended. Ben Koo, he's the man. Unique insight. Ben, thanks for your time joining us here on Buckeye Talk. Thanks for having me on. All right, joined by Bill Rabinowitz and Joey Kaufman of the Columbus Dispatch. Thanks, you guys, for making time out of your day here. We're just talking to everybody about like sort of how you go about covering the team. Bill, is it different? Do you think for you guys, and you've been doing this, you joined the beat when? Because you've been at the dispatch for a long time. I remember you were like bracket guy and kind of features guy. But when did you join the beat again, Bill? 2011. 2011. Okay. Do you still consider yourself like, for lack of a better phrase, like the paper of record about Ohio State? And if so, or how do you think that affects your coverage that you guys are the Columbus dispatch covering the Ohio state Buckeyes? Well, I think it'd be presumptuous to say that we're the paper of record. I just think that's a presumptuous thing to say. Um, I'm, I'm presumptuous on this podcast. Like every day, if we want to be presumptuous, be presumptuous. That's why you and I are so different, Doug. Yeah. Thank goodness. <laughs> uh, but I, I will say this. I think that I feel, I think I speak for Joey too. He can speak for himself, but, I do feel a responsibility um, covering Ohio State for the dispatch to be very conscientious, to be as thorough, to be, I mean, all the things that you need to do, I just think are heightened because we are the Columbus dispatch. We can't be wrong. Now, I'm not saying we're, we're always, you know, we're never wrong because everyone makes mistakes. But I, I know that I kind of carry that responsibility with me. I mean, I'd love to break every story and get it first, but, you know, we can't be wrong. And so if that means that we wait and confirm, you know, we can't just throw things against the, against the wall and hope that they stick. We have to, we have to be right because our credibility is at stake. Joey, this is your what year on the beat? Year three. Year, year three. one was 2019, and then year two was, was different. 
Yeah. Okay. And you covered USC right before you came here. Is that correct? Correct. At the Orange County Register, which was not the paper of record uh, for USC coverage. Okay. So what? how are those two things different? A, what, how would you describe the differences or similarities between the USC beat and the Ohio State beat? And how is your experience different going from you know, one of the papers, as you said, but maybe not the paper record to the Columbus dispatch. I think like the mechanisms of the beat are very different. Like a USC, for example, we, it's, I think it changed a little bit since I was there. Um, but in, I was there in 2016, 17 and 18, you got to watch every spring practice. You got to watch every practice of training camp and wow. you watched, uh, two in season weeks of practice. So when USC had this quarterback competition in, in 2016, Max Brown versus Sam Darnold, I mean, you have a string of reporters charting passes from a scrimmage and, and Max Brown went five of nine today in the scrimmage and Sam Darnold went six of 19. I, I was thinking about this before we went on today too. Like th- there's this whole debate or just controversy. I don't want to say controversy, but like discussion point about like who should be the Ohio State starting quarterback after three games and whether they have better options well, at USC in 2016, Max Brown started that year at quarterback, was was off to a one and two start. The offense did not look great. And I think there was a big drum beat by the beat to start Sam Darnold because we had watched him in spring ball. We had watched him in, in training camp and we had seen him in in-season week practices. And you felt you could have more of a skepticism for the the coach. So sometimes it feels like on the Ohio State beat, you're flying blind a little bit at times because we don't see practice. We have no idea what cj stroud looks like in practice we have no idea what quinn ewers or kyle mccord or or jack miller so that to me is probably the the bigger difference a lot of the the general mechanisms of a beat between you cover the main news you cover contract extensions you cover player profiles and features or general trends about the team in game that's similar but sometimes it it, it does feel like you don't have as much background on what's actually going on behind the scenes just because you don't get to see it is the beat as big at USC, Joey, or is this beat substantially bigger? This is substantially bigger, substantially bigger, because you have the whole state that, that covers pretty much Ohio State, and you have a litany of websites that, that cover Ohio State. I would say at USC, you'd have the 247 website. You would have the rival site, uh, and that would maybe a couple other independent websites. Uh, WeRSC.com uh, was, was a main one, but much smaller and fewer newspapers, too. I mean, like, the Dayton Daily News covers the team. You guys covered the Plain Dealer, Cleveland.com, Toledo Blade up until this year. used to cover them regularly. And then in Southern California, just due to newspaper consolidation, it's it's really the Southern California News Group, which is 11 different newspapers, including the OC Register and the, and the LA Daily News. That's what I was a part of. And then you had the LA Times. And that was it. So okay. it was a much smaller, much smaller deal. You would have press conferences where it would just be really a gaggle around Clay Helton. Like one of the, the bigger differences – is like here, like Jerry Emig, the SID calls on on people at a, at a press conference. It's has more of a formality to it, just because of the, the size of the of the B contingent versus at USC. And people are on the just, you just talk to the coach after practice in like a circle of ten people and, and see who can shout over each other to get the questions in first. Bill, this is a large beat, obviously. I think Jerry Emig does a good job trying to keep things fair, trying to call on people, right? I do, There are times when if you're really trying to work on something, I know you guys have that like big Sunday feature for the, the Buckeye pullout where you guys would do like a big feature on a player. I think you'd be able to get that player. Do you, do you wish like the cover, like, do you wish things were any different with the Ohio State bill? Or do you sort of understand 
there's this many people do it. We've kind of got to do this way. Are there ever things that you're like, man, I wish I could get a little more access here. I wish this was a little more freed up. Of course. I mean, a reporter always wants access. Um, I also understand why it is the way it is. I'm not sure that it's really doable any other way. What's hard about the, the way they do it now, and, and again, I'm not blaming them. I, I probably would do it the same way. But it's hard to ask, like, follow-ups. The way you get really good answers is to be able to ask follow-ups and three or four questions that, that you know, peel the onion, as they say. Yeah. It's just impossible, really, to do that unless I – mean, we can do it like on Wednesday nights. We get players at a, at a table, essentially. And there's a, a more of an opportunity to do it there. But even then, you know, there's so many reporters that it's – you know, you don't want to monopolize it. I mean, you do feel kind of that, that feeling you don't want to ask five questions in a row because there are other people there. But that's the way you get good stuff. Yeah, we get the game day covers for, uh, you know, for our Saturday uh, section. That's really the only chance we get on a regular basis to like, get to talk to somebody for an extended period of time. That's, but it's just when you have so many reporters and so many outlets, it's just hard to really accommodate everybody the way they want to be accommodated. Bill, you, for a lot of your career here, the dispatch was owned by the Wolf family. And now uh, in recent years, you, you guys are now part of the Gannett chain. Uh, has, does that make any difference? I don't know. Like, is it, I, I mean, newspapers get bought and sold. We all have different owners. You go about it. Like, what's, what's the difference? Is there any? You know, in, a, in most significant ways, no. They let us cover the team. There haven't been travel restrictions or anything like that. Uh, one of the differences is now we're reporting for the rest of this, all the Gannett papers in the state and really all the Gannett papers nationally. Yeah. So in that way, we have a broader audience. Um, there are just you know different things the way they do things that are different, the operating systems and, and things like that. But I and then there you know we have kind of aggregators within our company. Um, but it's not. I've not like been told, don't do this anymore because this is the, the Gannett way. Yeah. You know, that's not happened. It's not like we've been forced to do listicles of things. That's a, you know, the notorious thing. You know, we, we, that's not happened. You know, and we have a really good editor, Brian White. Um, you know, we had Ray Style before that, who was a very conscientious editor as well. Uh, we've added Lori Schmidt as our assistant sports editor, and, and she, you know, people around Central Ohio know her um, from her radio time, and she's very conscientious. She's been a great addition to the staff. So, um, you know, no, Gannett has not kind of been this oppressive hand over us. You guys clearly are migrating. I mean, you're a very established, respected newspaper, but we're all digital now. We're all both. It, I can just watching you guys and the way you do your coverage, you are starting to migrate a little bit to some other, you know, digital things that maybe you didn't do as much in the past. Joey, how would you say you guys are sort of striking that balance of, providing comprehensive coverage for a newspaper while also, you know, doing the website stuff that everybody does. Yeah. I mean, to me, in some ways, there are some obvious differences between a website and print. And I think one thing way we've been slower to come along to some of the digital stuff, especially in football, you see a lot of digital coverage related to film reviews and things like that. And part of that is just the way the format is set up online. If you're doing a film review online and you have a, it cut up from a game, you can drop it into an article and you have that, that gif. Obviously you can't do that on, on C3 of the sports page. So right. sometimes you're, you're trying to write for two different formats and it's a little 
funky. I, I do think whether it's digital or online, a big part of our readership is, is it, it's a general interest newspaper and you have people who subscribe to the dispatch who subscribe because of state politics coverage or, or local news and Ohio State. It's, it's a bundled deal if you live in Columbus. And I think because of that, whether we write an article for the web or print, you are writing for, I think, a less of a, you were writing less for the the zealot Ohio State fan and more for the general interest Ohio State fan. So I think even though we migrated toward digital and and maybe some of the the formatting of stuff has changed or just our our publishing cycle or or when we put up content, I think that will probably be be our niche in some ways. One thing I'd like to add, you know, we do still have a print deadline. The one thing that's been tricky is we have like a mid-afternoon print deadline. So when Ryan Day does press conference, I've got to write immediately because that story has to be in by, let's say, two or three o'clock. So, you know, that does make it a little bit more stressful. Um, you know, unfortunately, except for noon games, we're not getting that in the paper anymore. And that's, that's terrible. I hate that. I mean, I really do hate it. But that's beyond our control. We sold the printing press. We now print in Indianapolis. And, uh, you know, that's what it is. But, you know, I'll also say that even though our print product is not as good as it was, I mean, I'm you know, just being honest about that, we're still the only outlet that provides any print content. I mean, you guys do, but it's almost impossible for people at Columbus to get it. Yeah. And you've really de-emphasized the print. And there's no other outlet other than Dayton, and again, they're, they're in the same boat we are, um, that, that has any kind of print product. So yes, I know it's a diminished product, but it's still, we still have one, and it's still you know, a credible print product. No, and I agree. I mean, I think you guys are making all good points. We're, we're talking oh, with everybody has like their sort of own lane with how they do stuff here. That if you are a an Ohio State only website, like if you're an independent website or you're part of a larger network and you really are doing recruiting coverage or you're doing something where you're emphasizing a tons of video and stuff. I mean, everybody does go about it different ways. But I think the point that you were saying, Joey, that listen, this is a uh, in large ways, a general interest audience, that's different. That's different than, hey, the single high, the single high safety did this and the bullet needed to come down and whatever. That's not, I just, look at me. I'm trying to sound like a football guy. I didn't even know what, what to say. Said, no, you I didn't, didn't even, even understand what you said. I'm a four high robber, hippo, why banana? I'm just making stuff oh, up. Oh, no, I just oh. show, show my <laughs> Showing my ignorance, but you guys are a little less uh, why banana than than a, a specific football yeah. site when you're breaking that X's and O's, and that is a lane. That is clearly a lane. There is a large audience who wants that, who doesn't want why banana, who wants did the Buckeyes win? Did they lose? Who are the good players? Who do they play next? And I'm not I'm not trying to make it sound like you're dumbing it down or anything, but you do have to serve your audience, which I do think all of us, the whatever, 10, 12, however many outlets there are that do this, we have to serve our audience. And even though they're all Ohio State fans, the audiences are different. Yeah, I, I always kind of keep in mind my wife when I write. You know, my wife doesn't know much about sports. And so I, I kind of have in the back of my mind, I don't want to use terms or descriptions that she would not understand because that's our audience. You know, that's, that's our audience. And so, no, I do think we can, we can do X's and O's stuff. I mean, I do, do a DVR review after the game on Twitter. So, you know, there are ways to do that. Um, and I think, you know, both Joey and I try to go in depth with things. I mean, I hope people don't interpret that as being surfacy because we, we definitely no. try not to be surfacy. But we do have to understand that not everyone knows what a cover two defense is. You know, not everyone knows a lot of terms that are just kind of thrown out there. And so 
that's that's kind of where the you know the broad audience aspect of it comes from. Joey, are, go, go, go ahead, go ahead, Joey. I was going to say we could be populist and serve the common fan. Oh yeah, that's good. Yeah, no, it's not. But I and I get it. It's not. It is not to imply. It's almost sort of how you present it. It's not the information itself, right? It's not like you have the same in-depth information, but you realize the audience that you're serving. And I think, Bill, sort of the phraseology and just like how you present it, I think is important. I think you guys are explaining that. I'll just add one quick, I think, example of that would be like we wrote a story on how the defense looked a little different in last Saturday's game against Tulsa. They ran a little more cover too. Like my editor told me to go back and add a, add a line in there about what what is covered too. Because you can't take for granted our audience would know that. Yeah. No, I think that I think that's that's well informed for you guys to approach it that way. Um, Joey, again, a comparison between the Ohio State beat and the USC beat. Which beat had the bigger jerks? Are there uh, more jer- jer- are there more here? Or were there more in California? Those California guys, those LA guys, or are they all like cool? They're laid back, and there's a bunch of jerks here in the Midwest. I don't know. Maybe I'm naive, and I just think everybody's nice. <laughs> You, you are naive. That is definitely not true. No, that could be yeah. true. I don't. I don't feel. I. I guess I. I don't know. I hung out with people on Zoom last year. I don't really. Uh, That's true. But my jerk meter of the Ohio State media beat is not as well informed. Um, so I'm a complete ignorance. Rabina, what you're talking about listicles, man. I mean, if someone wants to rank the 20 biggest jurists on the Ohio State beat, that listicle would go through the freaking roof. So I'll serve that out there. Whoever wants to do it, uh, maybe I'll just do it. Maybe I'll just do it. it. Where where am I going to rank? Well, I mean, you did whoop my butt in tennis one time and you were pretty (laughs) merciless about it. So I think I would hold that against you. Bill, what what do you think of the competition on the beat? How do you, and have you had any instances where, you've been frustrated or angry or gotten in a fight with anybody on the beat because there was a disagreement about coverage. I would not say that's happened. I mean, do I have, so it's just me. I keep asking everyone and it's just (laughs) me. The only person who's ever screamed at someone on the beat is me. I thought it was everybody. Who'd you scream at? I can't say two people. It wasn't, it wasn't me at least. That's, that's good. Not Uh, yet. Not yet. You know, do I have varying levels of respect for different people and different outlets? Of course I do. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there are some web only websites that I have a lot of respect for. And then there are others that I don't, you know, um, I'm not going to name names, but um, <laughs> you know, that's the reality. I mean, one of the things that does trouble me is that the standard of, of, you know, of ethics or journalism or journalistic ethics, you know, how we don't just throw stuff against the wall and hope it sticks. You know, there are some that do. Now, there are, again, I don't want to lump everybody together because there are some really good websites that cover the team. But, you know, that part of it is, is a little frustrating because, like I said, you know, we have to do everything in our power not to be wrong. Yeah. What do you guys think the future of this business is for us? Do you think it will be affected by name, image, and likeness in any way? Do you think it will be affected by perhaps some desire by teams to limit access even more or eventually get to a place where, well, we don't need to have a press conference. We'll just have the local, the team website reporter interview the coach and we'll put the quotes out there. Joey, do you ever worry about, 
you know, I, I do think to be fair, Ohio State's access is pretty darn good right now, especially when you compare it to places like Michigan and, and some other places that I think are, are much more problematic. And it feels like, man, I don't know. People don't sometimes get to talk to people up there very much. What do you think, Joey? Do you ever do you ever wonder or worry about the future for us? Yeah, Ohio State's pretty good as far as I think making players available for interviews and making coaches available for interviews. I mean, after the Oregon game, Kerry Combs came out and talked, which I don't think um, happens necessarily at every every place in the country. And they make players talk the week of the Michigan game, which I mean, when Chris Peterson was at Washington, they would they would play Oregon or Washington State some weeks and wouldn't have anybody on the roster talk. I guess the future of the business would be uh, I mean, team sites have been around since the late aughts, and if we were all going to write for team sites at some point. Uh, I figured that all would have happened. I mean, in some ways, the, the schools are better off uh, trying to to dupe us into just fawning coverage most of the time, and they can get that for free. <laughs> uh, right. It's not on the payroll. Uh, so I don't know. I, I feel like uh, there'll be some changes, but it'll probably be just a s- slow, gradual change of less access, fewer independent websites. The question is how fast that is. Do you, do you fear that at all, Bill, or you figure uh, you'll be retired by the time it changes? Because, again, so people know this. Bill looks like he's 39. Bill Rabinowitz is 74 years old. It's remarkable, and he still plays hockey and plays a guitar. 74 and a half. Sorry. sorry. Now, you're a stickler for the facts. That's my bet. <laughs> no, my dad's got to turn 85, so he refers to himself as 84 and a half. Um, I, I guess the NIL thing does concern me in the sense that players might expect to get paid for any service they provide, including interviews. You know, I've talked about, and we, we took, chatted about this the other day, Doug, that if, if Ohio State were to you know, go on and win a national championship and I were to write another book, I, I would assume that the access to players would be a lot harder this time around because players would say, you know, you couldn't pay me last time, but now you can, so I expect it, um, which would probably mean I wouldn't write a book because I can't do that. Um, and it also means that they might write books. Or, right. or some, you know, do whatever, capitalize on it in their way. So I do think, and, I, and I'm in favor of NIL in principle. I mean, I just think it's the right thing to do, but it's going to have an effect. And I think it's just way too early to know exactly what the effects are going to be. Yeah. I feel like sports betting is going to have a bigger effect than NIL. My, it's my two cents. Mm. I think there's just going to be more sports betting coverage, especially if it becomes legalized in, in more states. I mean, the pros, you have the same thing with NIL, essentially. They can do endorsements, and I don't know if it's, changed dramatically how, how is in some ways, but to me, there's going to be a, a huge rise and just people covering it from the lens of how to make a, a buck or whether to bet on the over under who to bet and trends and that sort of thing. I mean, we've seen that a little bit. I know like, you know, like Teddy Greenstein, who was one of the best big 10 reporters around for years and years went to work for a betting website because they are a betting website. And then they wanted to hire a journalist to write stories on their website. It's like the places like, you know, the dispatch and Cleveland.com, we could, be news outlets that start doing betting stuff. Uh, frankly, I think Cleveland.com should have a betting app. I mean, I don't know why. Why wouldn't you? The Sparstool could do it. You know, why can't we do it? The Dispatch have a betting app, or you can either have like the journalism sites do betting, or you can have the betting sites do journalism. And I think the betting sites are starting to do journalism, and I hope I we say, don't get aced out. I will say it's problematic for a journalist to be betting. Uh, you know, I mean, you don't you don't want to have anyone think that your coverage is based. In any way on on your betting preferences, or you know you're mad at somebody because they've lost a bet, um, or you're you're phoning coverage because they do a touchdown pass and they, they covered the spread. So I mean I, I just think 
I mean, I would never, ever bet on an Ohio State game or do anything associated with Ohio State in terms of gambling as long as I'm on the beat. So, like, for me to say, like, after the Akron game, hey, Kyle, nice game. Thanks for that third touchdown pass because I had over two and a half touchdown passes for Kyle McCord. Uh, anyway, can you give a quote for my story? That would be bad, you would say, if I would do that. Yeah, that's why yeah. you're the journalist that you are. Yeah, that would yeah. be bad. But at least I talk about it on a podcast. I do it, then I give myself up. I'm not hiding it. I'm just a stupid. No, I would never do that either. But I do. But I do think like I would like if I wrote about it, right? If I said like, "Hey, I really think Ohio State's going to win the national championship this year," and I bet a hundred dollars on it on my little app in Ohio betting, you know, like I do think there's room for that. But I do. But I, not that we haven't known. I knew when I covered baseball, man, there would be some like. Guys, it was like, man, they are really invested in whether this team in this lousy game holds on in the ninth inning or not. I guess they really are want their story to be good or there might be something else going on. But for real, I agree with what you're saying, Bill. All right, Joey, be on the lookout for your jerks. And if you come across any, let me know because uh, I don't want you in your I don't want you to be Pollyanna about the journalism world, Joey. You're a good person, but just know there are terrible people out there. And uh, I might be one of them. So be on the lookout. All right. So people can read dispatch.com. They can now the uh, just explain it. There's the Buckeye extra, right? Is that you can pay a little bit. And then also you guys have the podcast too. I just want to make sure we direct people to the right stuff here. Yeah. Um, Buckeye extra is kind of the, the, well, just what it implies. Ohio state football, basketball, you know, that Ohio state sport. But all of our stuff is at dispatch.com. Um, we're kind of now re-emphasizing the dispatch.com part of things. Um, and Joey, you can you can share the podcast stuff. Sure, it's Buckeye Extra Football, the podcast. Buckeye Extra Football, the podcast. Wherever podcasts are available, right? Apple and, and Spotify and a subscription, an online digital subscription. I think it's the dispatch is like twenty bucks for a year. They've had some deals too, where it's like one dollar for six months. So nice. I, think it's pretty good. I don't think that's. Uh, Costing you an arm and a leg. If you want to read about other stuff other than football too, you get all that. That's good. No, I do think it's like a lot of the websites, right? The Ohio State websites are sometimes packaged with national sites. So you get more football coverage, which can be enticing. Like the athletic is like that. Hey, there's, you can get this sports coverage and a lot of other sports coverage, but then a place like Cleveland.com or the dispatch is like, Hey, you can get this sports coverage and a lot of other life in your community coverage, which is, Quite an attractive deal, I think, too, because believe it or not, as far as I know, I've talked to some people who do care about things besides football. So if you do that and you want to care about what's in Columbus, dispatch.com is the place to go. All right, gents, thanks for taking time out of your day to talk about life on the Ohio State beat. And uh, I'll see you at Akron. Thank you, Doug. Thanks, Doug. All right. See you, fellas. All right. That's it for part one. Right. Part one. That's two hours of part one. I guess we're going to have about two hours of part two. So make sure you get part two on part two. The Letterman Row guys, Austin Ward, Tim May, Spencer Holbrook, Dan Hope of 11 Warriors. Then the Bucknuts crew. That's Dave Biddle, Steve Hellwagon and Pat Murphy. And then at the end of part two, we'll have a wrap up. Me, Nathan, Steven, a texter survey. What do the texters want from their Ohio State coverage? If you want to be a texter and get to vote on stuff like that, give us feedback. 614-350-3315 if you want to be part of that. Thanks to everybody who was part of this one. Thank you to our good friends, Ari Wasserman. Our good friends. What I talk about? It's Ari and Bill. They're like my children. They're like my brother. 
They're like my half-brother's half-children. Not, not like I had my brother's children or my brother and I had children, but like if they're kind of like my brothers and they're kind of like my children. So maybe they're like nephews, but not by like more, I don't know, like you can have a good relationship with your nephew. Anyway, Bill and Ari, thanks for, to them for joining us. Ben Koo from Awful Announcing, thanks to him. Bill Rabinowitz and Joey Kaufman from the Columbus Dispatch, thanks to them. Make sure you catch part two. Thanks for hanging in this long on part one on Covering the Buckeyes. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.